This program deals with devil worship and satanic beliefs. It contains explicit scenes and descriptions of violent crimes and rituals. Americans are asking who attacked our country. You have declared a subliminal jihad against the United States. Can you tell us why? Everything pertaining to what's happening has never come to the surface. The world will never know the true facts of what occurred, my motives. And night fell on a different world. And Iblis is thinking, you know, I should be getting this position, not Adam, and this guy is created from dirt. And how does the army feel about you being head of the temple of Seth? And the conspiracy theorists can say what they will, but... I want you to give me power over Adam, and I want you to give me soldiers and minions and all of these things. The people have, have so much to gain and have such a material motive for putting me in a position I'm in. We'll never let the truth come above the to the world. And I want you to be able to give me the ability to whisper into the hearts of mankind. Episode 68. I am your co-host, Dimitri. I'm Khaled. And today, we have a very special guest on Subliminal Jihad. A real, um, in my book, a kind of titan of the podcasting parapolitical world. We have, uh, mm-hmm. we have with us private investigator Ed Opperman. Ed, are you there? Yes, I am. I'm right here. How are you guys? <laughs> We're doing good. How are you doing? Okay. I'm doing good. It's, you sound like a, almost like a hypnotist. I feel like I'm going to quit smoking. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, we just did yeah, an episode I, honestly, on that, actually. I'm, I'm always hearing... Yeah, we've. it's true. I, I'm always hearing... Uh, you know about Dimitri's amazing radio voice. I really, when we first were thinking about this, I didn't even like consider like, oh, you know, you have a great voice for radio. But apparently, that is that's definitely true in terms of the feedback we've gotten. Uh, that his voice is just very mellifluous. Uh, in contrast to mine, in contrast to mine, that's something I've heard about the podcast. It's like got one guy with an amazing voice and one guy with one that's not not so much. Uh, <laughs> well, as we like to say, it's it's dialectical or something. It's right? dialectical, um, yeah. It yeah, makes yours sound better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was actually shocked going back listening to our uh, Aquino episode number the numbers three and four at how fast uh, I, I did the intro back when we mm-hmm. first started. And I think I think somebody probably mentioned there was a, a you know that oh I like the ASMR intro and what can you do? You got to give the people what they want, right? So now it's slower, and I swear I'm not trying to hypnotize anybody. I know what that that's what all the CIA hypnotists say when they're trying to hypnotize you. Uh, you know, yeah, they, you're always just trying to you. teach the audience what it's going to be, you know, what it would be like if someone were trying to hypnotize them. Uh, yes, you know, yes. All kidding yeah. aside, I have had a few guests on the show that uh, right away I could tell that they were really hypnotists and they were, they were implanting messages. <laughs> really? Suggestions. Oh, wow. oh, yeah. And I, I, I called him on. I said, you know, you're involved in hypnosis, right? And another guy was a frequent guest, and um, you know he was openly, um, you know, admitted he was a hypnotist too as well. But uh, the last interview I ever did with him, he just went into this little rant that was so prepared. I says, "Whoa, this guy's this guy's uh, <laughs> never again." Yeah, that it makes you wonder. At uh, yeah, we were we were just talking about Mr. Alan Watts the other day. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, with him so I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, yeah and how he, when he was invited in to go to KPFA for the first time before he got his show, he was asked to say something, and he delivered this kind of perfect transcendent monologue mm. that ended exactly 15 minutes on the dot. Yeah, <laughs> like extemporaneously. Yeah, I don't trust anybody who can produce like a perfect extemporaneous monologue with no filler words or anything like that. It's, uh, you know, people, I guess like it but it's us uh yeah 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 use fillers it's uh but yeah no neuro-linguistic programming going on here we might talk about it but uh when we get into some of these topics but yeah i i think uh we definitely i i just went on your show ed and i've been a fan of it for several years i've probably listened to hundreds of opperman report episodes and I love the topics that you get into and I don't know I think they do overlap I think they've both been mm-hmm. a bit of an inspiration and there's an overlap with the kind of stuff that we like to get into here and yeah I think uh, you know we touched on a few interesting I think things when we talked like uh, Ted Gunderson Michael Aquino by the way I just just to set the record straight because I know you call him Michael Aquino Right. And I, I was calling him Michael Aquino, and I think I might have even heard you on the broadcast bring that up. And I, you know, I actually was going back and forth in my head because I remember researching this and trying to settle it when we did our first uh, episode on uh, on Ipsissimus, you know, himself. And uh, so you, you, you're convinced that it's Aquino, right? I, everyone with the name, with that name Aquino, there's been several presidents of the Philippines yes. with that name. Uh, yes. They all pronounce it yes. Aquino. But Aquino himself—he pronounces it Aquino. Did you know that? Well, that would make sense because Thomas Aquinas. That's how people usually say Thomas Aquinas. Yeah, I was thinking as we just now that that probably Aquinas or Aquino would probably be right. But I mean, my instinct has always been to say Aquino. But I picked Mm -hmm. up Aquino from Dimitri, so now I'm all over the place. I believe. I think it's stuck in my head because maybe in some of the podcast interviews I listened to him in his last few years of life, he introduced himself as Aquino and I think if I can dig I think you're right about the Philippines thing uh, because yeah you had like Corazon Aquino um, who was the president but I think because it's rooted in Spanish that it is pronounced Aquino if you're talking about uh, say anybody in the Philippines or in Spain or Latin America well well, you know in the Philippines they call it Philippines oh interesting Philippines yeah Well, I think yeah. because... Well, I, I mean, I guess it's rooted in Latin, just like, you know, Spanish yeah, well, also a, a, language, a, so, yeah. Yeah, probably. it is, but I think Aquino's dad ostensibly was Sicilian, so he's Italian, so I think, mm-hmm. I'm not sure how the Italians would natively do it. I think he does the Aquino uh, to to uh, gesture maybe a little bit more towards the Thomas Aquinas thing, like he's a great mm-hmm. religious scholar, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. just, uh, but hey, we can call him whatever we want. Uh, today, but we probably <laughs> will talk about him. Really fascinating guy. When, actually, Ed, maybe we'll maybe we'll start there. When when did you first become aware of Michael Aquino? Like, when did you first stumble across him? Way back in the eighties on Usenet. Um, well, no, it wasn't the eighties. Oh, it was wow. a, the, very early. Well, in the eighties, you know, on uh, you know, with the McMartin preschool case, you know, his name came up. Uh, and when I started a. Uh, Internet first came up. I was on Usenet all the time, and I guess I heard from him first from Alex Constantine. Yeah. Uh, was the first person I heard about him from. Mm. Did you well, know Alex Constantine? Cur- wait, wait. Do you guys know the mm-hmm. whole story about Curio Jones? 
Yes, that was the um, woman who uh, basically was posting things about him, and then he managed to track her down to a university computer lab in San Diego. Is that correct? Yeah, I was there for that whole thing live as it was going on. I used to read Curio wow. Jones every day when she was oh, normal. Wow. Okay, she wasn't crazy, mm-hmm. okay? And, uh, yeah, they tracked her down. They knew she was uh, posting from a, a college library. They sent a biker in there. We got from a biker gang with binoculars. And as soon as the, the post went up, there was, a guy, yeah, there was a guy at a window who gave a signal to the guy with the binoculars. And they saw who was posting. They followed her to a car. They got her plate number. And that was the first slap lawsuit. That was the first uh, anonymous yeah, uh, lawsuit. Yeah. Yeah. I, d- I did look that up, actually. Uh, Aquino kind of accidentally made case law in the 90s, I yeah. think related to this case, where he sued the ISP that was hosting whatever website or forum that Curio Jones was posting on. And it basically, yeah, it basically got knocked down uh, by, you know, the court threw it out, basically, because and then that kind of established the precedent of you can, you know, the ISP, the service provider is not liable for whatever. It's kind of like the Section 230 thing that, you know, uh, Facebook or Twitter is not liable for something somebody posts on their website. But Aquino tried to establish that he could get anybody taken off the Internet that he wanted who was saying that. You know, talking about the Presidio case or that he was involved in any kind of thing. How, I, I forget. I know I read through her uh, her post a little bit, uh, God, maybe a few times over the last yeah. seven or eight years. But how, uh, what were kind of the exact – was she just reiterating a lot of the Presidio stuff or was she saying other things? Well, you know, it's pretty much uh, all the standard stuff. You know, A lot of that information came from – and uh, once they got a hold of her, they, they drove her insane. If you read her writings now, it's just crazy. Wow. Yeah. Is she still around on the internet? I think she has a, a website called uh, Miss Curio or Miss Jones Curio, something like that. Wow. Wow. That is. And do you know which biker gang was dispatched? I don't remember. I probably did it at the time. It was probably the Hells Angels, I think it was. Okay, probably the Hells Angels. Ms. They Jones seem curiosities. to be. Uh, Tasteful taxidermy and wearable oddities. Mm. Uh, is that the one you're talking about? That uh, could be it. Yikes. Yeah. So she does taxidermy now? T- tasteful taxidermy. But if, but, if, if yeah. you read her content nowadays, it's just so out there. Hmm. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's right. I forgot that she was arrested for stalking Steven Spielberg in 2001 yeah. and made no, death no, threats she's... against Jennifer Love Hewitt. Yeah. Yeah. And she got rolled up into, I guess now she is kind of considered what like a victim of the quote, satanic panic. And Mm -hmm. that's something we've talked about. Wow, actually, oh, yeah, Michael Aquino's mentioned in, she has a whole Wikipedia article. That's kind of interesting. But when you click on Aquino, it just goes to the Temple of Set. Like we mentioned, he doesn't have his own Wikipedia page. But I guess, Ed, we talk about the satanic panic a lot on Subliminal Jihad. And kind of, uh, we look back a little critically on it. And I think a lot of the things you've done into it have helped shape my thinking on this but what do you think about the whole phenomenon of the the media phenomenon of the quote satanic panic since you were there and you were watching this stuff happen live because nowadays people a lot of mainstream people take that as a shorthand of like something that was 100 percent not real nothing happened in the 80s like no kids were being abused it was all manipulative social workers and uh mm-hmm. preachers and things like that so what what do you think about that whole label and that phenomenon well, you know, I, I think, well, actually, this activity was going on, like you said, 
And then I think people like Geraldo and Oprah Winfrey, who are such mm-hmm. suspect people on, on so many different levels, <laughs> <laughs> you, yep. know, uh, you know, mm-hmm. what you know, did these sensational, hysterical reporting in order to, to discredit things, you know, and Gunderson and Aquino and all that stuff, you know, and the, whole, the whole big stage, you know, big show. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the, the, I that, that, that idea, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the data point of you saying that Aquino and Ted Gunderson would talk on the phone every day yeah. during the McMartin case. Um, oh, boy. Well, that was actually years after the McMartin case that they were on the phone every day. Uh, um, as a matter of fact, Magooly already, she, by that point, she had already hated uh, Gunderson. She was no longer friendly with him. Okay. Was she dating him? I believe they were dating. Yeah, yeah. Very odd um, kind of insertion into that. Yeah, I, I think... Not, with, you know, yeah, not, not as odd as you think. Not as odd as you think, okay? <laughs> because in cases like... Uh, what, getting involved in kind of court cases like that? A lot of PIs, they do, you get these calls all the time, you know? And mm-hmm. a female client will say, you know, okay, I, I want to hire you. I had this other investigator. Uh, then he would take me out on surveillance with him, and we'd sit in his surveillance van, oh. and we wound up dating each other. And I'd say, oh my God, this is the most crazy and appropriate thing I've ever heard in my life. He's taking That's you on another weird. investigation, <laughs> you know? Oh, wow. Like, yeah. wow. And you'd hear that stuff that- all the time. And with Ted, too, you'd hear the, uh, the story, because there's a lot of lonely widows out there, you know, and who want just yeah. want attention. And they'll send you money, they, you know, all that kind of stuff. And he had a reputation for taking a lot of those cases. Wow. Wow, that is interesting. And yeah. he also uh, still had a, a little office at the L.A. FBI headquarters, I guess, as well that whole time, right? Yeah, one woman so reported to me that yeah that she ran into him mm-hmm. down at the uh, L.A. FBI headquarters and he was working there. Wow. And he was the special agent in charge there in the late 60s, right? Yeah. Or yeah, actually, oh, no, I, I see. He was a 1977, I guess, hmm. uh, seen right here. But he had served in, yeah, Mo- Mobile, Knoxville, New York City, Albuquerque, uh, New yeah, New Haven, and Philadelphia, and Memphis during, okay. I We had brought that up before. We weren't sure if he was the head of the FBI office in Memphis when Martin Luther King was assassinated. But I guess he came after that in 1973. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a whole, yeah, yeah, a whole kind of thing. And actually, you had mentioned that he was the defense investigator for Jeffrey McDonald in his yeah. murder case, right? And that was his first case as a private investigator. He left the FBI and he went to work straight for Jeffrey McDonald. Wow. And could you tell us a little bit about what that case uh, entailed? Yeah. Or, um, the story. Jeff McDonald was a, a doctor at the ER, and uh, one night. He's home in bed with his wife, and according to him, a bunch of hippies came in with candles, chanting, all kinds of stuff like that, and stabbed up wow. the whole family. Now, this was wow. investigated, and he was um, uh, exonerated by the military and justice court, you know? Uh, but then they, they set up some kind of—somehow the civil uh, civilian courts charged him, and there was a trial. He lost the trial. He, his friends hired Ted Gunnison to investigate the case— and Gunderson mm-hmm. did find this group of, of witches and cults with, you know, and one of them confessed to him and he had total control over. He took a videotape of her, a video deposition, but he had total control over this exonerating witness who at the last minute recanted her story because she didn't want to get charged in the crime. Now, I've been in touch with uh, um, what's his name? Uh, McDonald's current wife, 
He got married while in mm-hmm. prison. I had her on the show a couple of times. Wow. And he wanted to talk to me, too, uh, uh, McDonald's. And I was trying to tell him, you know, do you know about <laughs> you know about Gunderson and his connection to Aquino and all this kind of stuff? And they just didn't want to hear it. They just were oblivious to this. Uh, and by the way, too, this, this and Aquino was stationed there, by the way, too, you know, at, at the Fort Bragg. Oh, yeah, time. yeah, that I did not know. I did right. not know that he was, was he at Fort Bragg when this happened? If, if, if this was Fort Bragg where the murder took place, then, then he was stationed at, the, at this base where McDonald was, okay, at the same time. And also, too, this is where the heroin was coming in from uh, uh, Vietnam and the body bags. This is where all that oh, was going on. the Golden the Triangle. Same, yeah. Oh, okay, wow. What a hotbed okay, of, of activity, is... you know? Oof, yeah, and I also see here, yeah, he was a Green Beret, was he not? Gunderson? I mean, uh, 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 no, Jeffrey, uh, McDonald? Jeffrey McDonald. Yeah, I believe he was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was a Green Beret, and so this murder happened in 1970, and so I don't know if he had been in, do you know if he was in Vietnam before? No, uh, I don't. I, it's been so long since I talked to his wife. We had a little falling out after the show. Because uh, she felt that I wasn't uh, being an advocate for her on the air as much as she wanted me to be. Mm. Mm. Oh, I see. I see. Interesting. Yep. No, you're right. He was at Fort Bragg. He was assigned in September yeah. 1969 to 3rd Special Forces Group as a group surgeon, joined by his wife and children. He was in a section of the base mar- reserved for married. Uh, yeah, reserved for married officers which was, you know, secured by military right. police. Now, it's interesting because those were also the years that Aquino, he probably was going through Fort Bragg for special forces training because he was sent to Vietnam in 1969 and 1970. Now, of course, there's that second half of his tour in 1970. Interesting now that I think about it where he says, I'm just not going to talk about that second half. Because I think that might line up with the time frame of when McDonald, the McDonald murder happened, depending uh, around that time. But either way, he would have been, and he also was trained as a Green Beret, Michael Aquino. Yeah. So yeah. they could have bumped into each other. And it also, that does, that reminds me of, you know, we, we tend to bring up Dave McGowan. I know you've interviewed him uh, before, the late, great Dave McGowan. Mm. And it, he, did you ever read his book, Program to Kill? Oh, yeah. He sent me all yeah. those books. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. that one's, uh, I know a lot, of, a lot of our listeners are really, uh, that, that's a really important book for them. I know I read it a few years ago. It's a tough thing to get through. It's pretty dark, but well, I think it's he talks about, now. what's that? I think it's impossible to get now. Yeah, I think you can get, you know, digital copies of it. Maybe okay. on ar- I think I got some kind of bootleg copy on archive.org. Yeah, maybe uh, it might be hard to get on Amazon. Mm. It's usually a good sign that a book is worth reading if, it, if the price gets jacked up and it's out of print mm. and the CIA bought all the copies, uh, all that stuff. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it is, uh, it, it is an interesting synchronicity because in that book, and then also, have you read Tom O'Neill's Chaos about Manson? Yeah, I had Tom O'Neill on the show. I didn't read the book, though. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, well, he, he I think, mentioned a couple of similar things. There was a case, I believe, in the 1950s. I'm forgetting the name. I think it was an airman in the Air Force serving, might have been in Kansas, but he kind of snapped completely out of nowhere 
and I think I think might have like sexually assaulted and murdered a child in like a, a totally brutal, savage way, and then had no recollection of it. And this is like in the mm. early to mid fifties, a little a couple years into after MK Ultra started. And I know that Tom O'Neill was kind of bringing up this. He he couldn't quite prove it, but was pointing at you know because they were doing all kinds of uh, experiments with psychedelics and hypnosis and stuff like that on military bases to military personnel and you know maybe this guy had been hypnotized or hypnoprogrammed or something like that to uh to to have a you know a murderous murderous alternate personality or something and he snapped and became like this child killer but he has absolutely no recollection it just makes you think of sirhan sirhan and maybe some of the manson family people especially the like squeaky from who went on to take a shot at gerald ford so mm. bizarre, right? <laughs> you know, and basically, if there was like some kind of a pro, because that's what jumps out at me when I see that Ted Gunderson slides right in to investigate, the, or he gets invited. I think he was still with the FBI, which is kind of interesting that he was he was he hired as like a private investigator. Yeah, in he was definitely a private. Inv yeah, I, what I was told by um, my, like I said again, by um, McDonald's wife was that that was his first case. He left the FBI. And that was his first case that he took it to leaving the FBI. Okay. Oh, actually, I, I see it right here. In 1980, he became a defense investigator for Jeffrey yeah. McDonald. Um, I guess that must have been on appeal because he was already he had already been convicted of it. Uh, yeah, he obtained affidavits from Helena Stockley yeah. confessing to her involvement in the murders, which she claimed in actuality had been perpetrated by a satanic cult of which she was a member. Yeah, that. See, th then you have Aquino, and then you have maybe the kind of program to kill, t and that's a, a special forces place. So you know. Who knows what they were doing with, you know, potential Green Berets, sending them off to go be in the Phoenix program and right, right. all that kind of stuff. Uh, very, yeah, interesting very too, because Mans Manson was um, at the uh, Boys Town. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then you got DeCamp, who was also in the Phoenix yeah. program, too. And, you know, DeCamp mentioned in The Conspiracy of Silence that he also spent some time at Boys Town. Do you ever catch oh, that? Oh, Really? I didn't yeah, catch no, that. He, said, he I, it, I think I read a little more in his book, Khalid. I don't know if you remember, or I can't remember if you mm -hmm. read the DeCamp book along with me, but he mentioned a little bit about how he had like a rough time in his early teens, and he spent a little bit of time at Boys Town, but he wasn't an orphan. So that always jumped out at me as a little bit odd. I don't know if he just had... Mm -hmm. Oppositional defiant kind of things going on, but he spent a little time there, yeah, which is what he said he had such high respect for Boys Town because you know he himself had spent some time there. Which yeah, adding that plus the Phoenix program thing is a little bit yeah. funny. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, did you ever yeah, get to I interview uh, John DeCamp, Ed? No, not DeCamp, but I did interview Tim Tate, Conspiracy of Silence, and um, I heard that that is a great interview. Oh yeah, he wasn't doing interviews at the time. I got really lucky with that. Um, mm -hmm. And the yeah, camp, I, uh, I was contacted oh, by no, a guy who was related to the camp, who told me, "Ed, man, he's making that whole thing up. All that stuff is—they're just running a con on everybody. Uh, none of that's true. None of his credentials are true. And also, too, I, I, another person I come across has all of the camp's uh, records and paperwork uh, from the Franklin cover-up case. Really, really. Yeah. So, one of the camp's relatives uh, called you up and told you that none of it was true. Yeah, and he it was an interesting guy, too, because he was involved. He wasn't military, but he was involved in some kind of military contractor or something, or mm. a consultant or advisor or something. He had some connection with the military. 
And wait, he Yikes. was supposed to record with me. He never did. He chickened out the last minute. Wow, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, but I, I listened to your interview with Tim Tate, and Tim Tate sounded pretty convinced, right, that oh, yeah. this was, in fact, a real thing that was happening. Oh, yeah, and I think now it's been confirmed just because of uh, all that stuff with um, Henry Vincent. You know, that guy yeah. went to prison twice over this thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, I got his book. I'm going to, uh, uh, we'd like to may even maybe try to have him on. He went on yours, uh, your show once, right? Yeah, I think that's the only interview he's ever done. I don't think he, and I've talked to people who know him, who talk to him all the time, and he's not doing it anymore. Oh, yeah. A, he's a yeah. very well, we, private guy to begin with, and very uh -huh. soft-spoken. Yeah, I, you know? I can understand. But he was basically, yeah, he was running the kind of, uh, the, the sort of the, the gay escort kind of uh, side of things in Washington, D.C. with uh, Craig Spence, right? Right. Yeah, and he was, they were running all the credit card purchases through like a funeral home that he owned. <laughs> yeah, cremation. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, and, and <laughs> wasn't it his receipts that got exposed either yeah, in the Washington yeah. Times in yeah. that famous uh, homosexual prostitution ring ensnares yeah. Reagan Bush White House? And also, he, <clears throat> one of our favorite uh, targets on the podcast, he, one of his clients was William J. Casey, was it not? I wasn't aware of that. No, I wasn't aware of that. I, I feel like he said that Casey was one of the guys that would come in and he uh, he was older at that point and had erectile dysfunction, uh, but he liked to watch like young men uh, do stuff. And that would be interesting. We did a whole episode kind of focusing on Bill Casey, really kind of an under-examined guy, at least in my book. I don't know, Khaled, would you agree about you know his, yeah. his escapade mm -hmm. in the 80s? Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. I would. Uh, yeah, that was uh, we, we read uh, uh, Victory, which was heavily focused on on him. Uh, Peter Schweitzer's Victory. Um, and uh, yeah, it uh, it was quite a tale. Yeah, he, he was uh, yeah. flying around in a jet black secret plane throughout the entire yeah. 1980s, going to like the Vatican, going to Saudi Arabia, going to Pakistan. He was arming the Mujahideen and like, you know, that kind of yeah. future Al Qaeda type Willing people. With he was China. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, his and, daughter and was the lobbyist for Al Qaeda. He for, had uh, like his Taliban. He had like his own. Really? Like, oh, his daughter room. was. Okay, listen, this is a good <laughs> yeah. one. <laughs> I okay. see. I always get Colby and Casey confused, but I had yes. Colby's son on the show. Okay, really? And I asked him, but it wasn't Colby. It was Casey. Casey's daughter was the lobbyist for the Taliban uh, under uh, Ronald Reagan, and uh, I hundred percent believe that. But you can't find it. I dare you to find it. You can't find it. I watched it on the news with my own eyes. <laughs> okay. I you just looked it up. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, it's a little bit like uh, rewriting history. You know, I mean, if you look at the end of Rambo 3, for example, which totally lionizes uh, the, the Taliban, you know, it says uh, this film is dedicated to the brave Mujahideen fighters of Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. And then after 9-11, right. I think they, they changed it to this is dedicated to the brave people of Afghanistan. <laughs> you know, it's like, ooh, you know, they, uh, they basically... You know, just uh, a little bit awkward. But Bill Casey was was like absolutely central to uh, Operation Cyclone, which was you know like a five billion dollar plan to arm these guys. And it, it, when it started out, they were just trying to harass the Soviet forces. But then Bill Casey was such a like a true blue kind of anti-communist cold warrior that he wanted to actually give them Stinger missiles and help them you know actually win 
win the damn thing. And yeah, it was part of this whole strategy. I mean, this guy, this guy went back to, you know, he was in the economic sabotage unit of the OSS in World War II against Germany. But then I think, um, I think after the war, you know, all that Nazi money that floated off to South America and into Swiss banks and stuff like that. Did are, have you have you had uh, Dave Emery on? Yeah, I had Dave Emery on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's somebody who's dug in all this stuff real deep and, and tracking people like Martin Bormann, who he believes never died. You know, that was, uh, you, you know, one of Hitler's main deputies, and he escaped to South America and also took a lot of the Nazi loot with him and laundered it into these different corporations and things like that. So there was this international shadow network um, that eventually would pop up. I found evidence of this myself in like Iran Contra. They're not they're straight up Nazi war criminals, you know, involved mm. in in still around in the 1980s and uh and yeah, Bill Casey apparently because he was a Wall Street lawyer was one of the people tasked with uh kind of a trustee of some of these Nazi accounts. So he knew where kind of the money, you know, at the Black Eagle Trust. I don't know if you've uh I don't know if you're a big Yamashita's gold head speaking of the Philippines, but uh, Khalid and I have really gone back and forth on kind mm -hmm. of uh, what yeah, kind of role that might have played at the end of World War II. Mm -hmm. uh, all that Japanese gold that was uh, stashed allegedly in the Philippines and which Marcos, I think, availed himself of to some degree, which is why he was so wealthy. Um, you know, it, that, that that runs through everything. You got John Singlaub, uh, the Wackle and stuff. He was running around the 80s in the jungle there looking for Yamashita's gold. And uh, and Bill Casey was also, I think I read something the other day that Bill Casey decided that, like, Marcos wasn't being forthcoming enough with the gold supplies that he had. So he decided it was finally time for Aquino to overthrow him. Uh, and uh, I guess that's what... Uh, that's yeah, we had read that about Reagan recently. Yeah, because we were talking about the significance of gold, I think. Uh, who was it who was going on about uh, how pivotal gold is to the... Uh, to all of this, like it is, uh, all goes back. Oh, to it was uh, actually it, it was, was Dave one of those Troy, QAnon investigators. Yeah, mm -hmm, right. Yeah, mm -hmm. and so that yeah led us back to the gold topic, and we were talking about how allegedly Reagan had wanted to switch to like rainbow dollars based on the gold standard, but they would have needed to borrow money from uh, Aquino to finance it. Or, some of his or bullion. from Marcos, I think. He, from Marcos, mm -hmm. yeah, right. Sorry, uh, yeah. from Marcos, yeah, and he. Uh, yeah, he wouldn't uh, offer it, I guess. So it, uh, yeah, it didn't, it didn't Actually, come together. Actually, this, this uh, is a fun little yeah. tidbit. I just listened to the interview with that guy, Dave Troy, who made that argument on uh, the Farm podcast. You've had Recluse on, right, Ed? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Recluse is great. And he had Dave Troy on. And Dave Troy, actually, I mean, he's an interesting guy. I don't agree with all the conclusions and the directions he goes, but I think he has done a lot of good research. But he mentioned something weird at the end which is that uh, his dad's mentor was Donald Barr. Right, yeah, I just saw that recently. I saw he wrote that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, to be fair, I'm not, I'm not casting any aspersions towards him. Like, he said this himself, but said he kind of said a, a little bit coyly like that so some of this stuff, even, you know, I'm, uh, I, there's a personal angle to this for me because, you know, I wonder, like, what, you know, what am I, what was my dad aware of? Because of course, Donald Barr, OSS, Wharton School, uh, father of William Barr, who I'm, I'm convinced was involved in Iran Contra and was has oh, yeah. like career CIA. Robert Johnson, right, was his wait, wait, uh, hold on, code hold on, name. Bar, as far as Barr goes, 
when he was first appointed, I talked to Chip Tatum about it, and he goes, oh, yeah, man, he was up to his neck in, in, in Iran-Contra. And also, too, yeah, you know, he yeah. worked for Kirkland and Ellis before and after the Epstein case. He worked for them before, and he worked for them after. Not during that oh. period of time when Epstein was negotiating the, 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 the trial dinner in uh, Palm Beach. But uh, if, if everybody's going to make a beef about Acosta, because he was a... Or, or there was someone else at Kirkland Ellis, and they made a big beef about that. He had to resign. Uh, Barr was, too. Interesting. And yet he gets a little bit... Yeah, like, he doesn't really get uh, thrown in with that, even though his dad is the one who, when he was running the Dalton School, hired Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, I mean, we can just can't. tell Barr's attitude, man, you know, look at... Hey, I've killed people. <laughs> you, uh-huh, know, like, uh-huh. you know, you know, yeah, I don't have to listen to you. You know, it's just, it's just this whole attitude from beginning to end. How he got mixed yeah, up with yeah. Trump is just fascinating. I don't know why would Trump bring a guy like that in, a real guy. That you know, th- that definitely touches on something I uh, I, I want to get into with you, Ed, because I mean, you know, yeah. a lot of these players, but yeah, I think we did. We've been doing a contra series. Uh, we it's been a little while since our last thing. I think our last thing was victory, which was about Bill Casey, or, or like fifth chapter of it. But I think the uh, the second one which focused on Iran-Contra cocaine smuggling, primarily through MENA. We uh, we covered, you know, Terry Reid, right, the whistleblower? Yeah. Yeah, and then the, the documentary, The MENA Connection. Yeah, he wrote the book Compromised. And I don't... Have you ever have you ever talked to Terry Reid? No, I haven't. I didn't even know he was still alive. Yeah, I, don't, I actually don't know if he's still alive either. I think he maybe receded into private life after all of his lawsuits and death threats and all of those things. But he was the one that described that he was at a meeting in Arkansas with, I believe, yeah, Bill Clinton was there. I think and Barry North, yeah. Seal and Ollie North and yeah. CIA agent Robert Johnson, who later, and, you know, it's interesting, in like 1990. You know, in the, the mid '90s, he was saying, "No, it's actually the former Attorney General William Barr was Robert Johnson." And how I'm, oh, really? I, I'm blown away that like when he came back in the scene, especially with Trump. You know, I, I found this again and again with Trump. It was kind of so frustrating that people would love to attack him, but they'd never attack him in ways that you know would kind of open up uh, the rabbit hole to connecting him to some real kind of deep organized crime, kind of deep state stuff. So nobody ever brought up, "Hey, this guy was like." really involved in Iran-Contra and even the drug smuggling part of But I guess, you know, the mainstream media can't admit the drug smuggling thing. It has to just yeah. be this thing everyone knows happened, but we can't acknowledge it. And uh, But yeah, that, I mean, it's just kind of out in the open. It's like, and he does kind of have this attitude of like, he doesn't give a shit. This guy comes from the yeah. the real high society, the the point zero 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 connected 1%, right? Well, if you see, when I watched his confirmation hearing and he gave his little speech and he's introducing his daughter and his son and his nephew that he's planted in all these different <laughs> departments in the government, you know, <laughs> Department of Justice over here, you know, mm-hmm. Department of Treasury over there. And then when he just starts to talk, I, I'm hearing a guy say, listen, I'm here to do the dirty work. I've done it before. I'm here now. You know, and I, I could just see his whole the, the personality, all the way he delivered things. I just said, this guy's walking in and do the dirty work, you know? Just like he did with Iran Contra on yeah. the parties. Yeah, well, okay. And so, I, but I have a question about that. Because it, it, these lines, these alliances start to get, I, I feel, like a little bit fuzzy when we start to get to Trump. Because on the one hand, you have some of these kind of like Reagan-Bush era CIA 
Iran-Contra Enterprise type people floating around. I mean, then you had like Elliot Abrams come in later, you know, real heavy hitters like that. But then there does seem to be like a real hatred with a lot of these neocons towards Trump where they, you know, people like Dick Cheney that like don't want to, now maybe that's all an act or something, but I, what, do you know anything about that? Like why, was there a kind of a split in these factions at some point? Like, uh, like who who is Barr aligned with? Uh, I don't know. You, yes, you think? I, I think a, a lot of Trump's advice was coming from people like Bannon and uh, uh, Roger Stone. You know what I mean? And then you have his wacky son-in-law. You know, mixed into the mix there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I think a, a lot of it was like, well, Roger Stone had a guy that was loyal to him. You know, and so bring him in there. You know, and then, but there was really no at least. There was really no one loyal to Trump, you know, because he was just he donated money to both sides, you know, to both sides of the capitalists anyway. Yeah, yeah. True. <laughs> yeah. So he yeah. had no history with these people, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I Except guess he for whatever didn't, was going on with, with blackmail and, and teenage girls. <laughs> at, at uh, hotels, well, yeah, the, the Epstein stuff, and yeah, yeah, just being a hotelier, um, that it, it definitely opens up. And then, yeah, in the 80s, kind of probably offering great opportunities for money laundering through yeah. real estate and condos and such, right? Like, wasn't oh. he? Yeah, you were around in New York in the 80s. I mean, didn't Trump used to brag about his mafia connections? Well, yeah, well, no, you had guys walking around with them. They were organized crime. But uh, what do you call it? <laughs> also, too, uh, uh, plus that whole thing with John, the whole John Tino story, which has been totally buried, about Trump uh, hitting up this uh, massage parlor in, in Times Square. Uh, it was an organized crime joint. And one day he asked for a, a teenage girl in there, and he had a threesome with a teenager. Wow. But also, too, and he, and, and yeah, resorts, stu- studio, six, uh, studio 54. Studio 54, he was a fixture over there with Roy Cohen, and also the, all the Roy process Cohen. church guys were in there, too, right? And Geraldo really? Rivera. Oh, I didn't was, know that. Geraldo Rivera was really? Studio 54. Michael Jackson was Studio 54. Oh, that wow. Whole okay. Crowd. Wait, uh, th- yeah. Wow. So, wait. So, what was Studio 54 really? Was it a kind of a honeypot mm-hmm. joint? Did it have mafia connections? Who Who was the real movers and shakers behind it? Well, back in the 80s, I, I had a nightclub in the 80s in, in, in Manhattan. So, mm-hmm. but the mafia had their hand in every uh, nightclub, no matter what. You know, you had to get your laundry from them, you had to get your, buy your liquor through them. Uh, sanitation removal was through them. The doormen had to go through them and stuff. So they had a hand in every nightclub in Manhattan in those days. So Studio 54 was no different. Um, there was a lot more open drug use and sales over there and a lot mm. more open sex and things were going on over there. Um, it was, you know, run by Steve Rubell, who was, uh, had more, you know, celebrity connections and organized crime connections, but everybody had organized crime connections. Interesting. And, okay, this is a question I think uh, Colin and I have discussed before, but I always noted it it seems to me that something changed sometime around the 1980s and the 1990s, uh, particularly with Italian organized crime, where it appears on the surface, like with the Pizza Connection case and all that stuff, that the FBI finally woke up one morning and realized that the mafia did exist – you know, contra to what uh, J. Edgar Hoover used to say, and they started actually going after them. And all these guys who would become pretty big pub- public servant kind of figures kind of made their bones in the 80s. Like, I think of people like Giuliani, 
um, you know, prosecuting the mob. So what, what was the deal with that? Because we also know that the the U.S. government and particularly like the national security state, the FBI, the CIA, they were all in bed going back to like World War II with the mafia. So like what changed between them? Did it have something to do with Iran-Contra? No, they were still in like, bed with the, the mafia because Iran-Contra, the, the, the Iran-Contra coke was sold through John Gotti. Through a guy named uh, Salvatore Reale. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. It, was, it, was a it was a private investigator turned organized crime character uh, that made a lot of scandal, a lot of problems for people. And you know, by the way, too, you know, a lot of people don't realize, but uh, do you know who uh, Giuliani's top aide was, uh, uh, second in command was in the SDNY? Uh, Michael Chertoff. No. Michael Chertoff. Oh, Michael Chertoff. Uh, when he had hair, he, he had a full uh -huh. head of hair and a mustache. Uh, real quick, uh, so we're going to be doing a show tomorrow with Casey Gay McGall. I'm taping with him. He's working on this whole thing about Al Sharpton uh, working for the CIA. Okay, and, and uh, it's it's the guy does great work. He really does. He doesn't even, he doesn't not a great talker, uh, but he's a great writer and researcher. Uh, so there's a lot of connections. Wow. With that too. wow. Yeah. So yeah, you think Al, Al Sharpton? Do you know how far that goes back? I've heard he's an FBI informant, but what about the oh no, CIA he's definitely an FBI informant. There's no doubt about that. Um, yeah. Me and Casey have been trying to work out these, these dates. He's going to quote me in the article. We're going to be talking about it tomorrow. I went, we went over this because we're trying to figure out if he was a, uh, an informant before 83, before the, um, what do you call it, the, that the Coke deal with the DEA, or is he wearing the cowboy hat? He's trying to do a Coke deal. <laughs> trying, and I'm, I'm convinced. And I don't think Casey went through the, the, the smoking gun documents because clearly Al Sharpton was – uh, negotiating deals and making cases with with the FBI or with all these organized crime guys and collecting money, <laughs> out mm -hmm. there collecting money and stuff, you know, all this crazy stuff he was doing. I don't know if you guys know the story about me and Al Sharpton with um, the part about the um, where the guy who was installing my car phones when I had the beeper company. We were hanging out with his dad one day, and I mentioned, I said, you know, Al Sharpton's a nice guy. He says, you would love Al Sharpton. He's, he's a fun guy. He's, he's very interesting, very personal. Uh, he's very polite, you know. And he says, no, 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 Ed, he, Al Sharpton's a terrible guy. And I said, well, why is that? The guy worked on the Michael Jackson tour that Al Sharpton uh, promoted with Michael Francis. And according to this guy, in 1990, he told me this story, that Michael Jackson got caught with little boys and Al Sharpton helped cover it up. And this is three, three years before Jordy Chandler uh, allegations came out about Michael wow. Jackson. Nobody was talking about Michael wow. Jackson and little boys at that time. Wow. So, <laughs> yikes! That's uh, that's yeah. not so good. That's crazy. That's yeah. not so good. Well, yeah, that, I just I saw. Yeah. Yeah. I've always been uh -huh. convinced about Michael Jackson because of that, because it was three years before anybody was talking about him. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta. And then, that, plus, since then, I've had my, I've had uh, uh, Paul Baresi on the show, who was Michael Jackson's uh, investigator, who did all those payoffs and stuff like that, and he said he's guilty. Wow. Wow. I mean, I think, that, yeah, it's hard to imagine that he's not, <laughs> basically. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, okay, so, but then going back to the mafia for a second, yep. like, did something change in, say, like, the 90s? Because Gotti eventually went to jail. So did, did his luck run out? Did he get on the wrong side of well, somebody in power? When Giuliani came into office, he, they passed a lot of stuff when he became mayor. And where, you, know, you weren't allowed to have a strip club you know, anymore. They were shutting down strip mm -hmm. clubs. But not all the strip clubs. Only there, there were certain families that were allowed to continue, and there were certain families that were targeted. 
So there, there were some families that went totally unfazed whatsoever. And wild men like Gotti and, and those bunch, you know, were rounded up yeah, and, and all went to prison. Mm. Wh- which families uh, were remained untouched? I'd rather not say. <laughs> okay, uh, okay, really okay. fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> I, 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 we, could, uh, we have Google. We could look it up. Um, yeah, well, that's... Um, that's interesting. You know, another person that I was actually just reading about yesterday who I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, was a pretty big player in taking down some of those mafia people and establish his credentials was the, uh, the, the Trump slayer himself, Robert Mueller, Robert uh, Swan yeah. Mueller, the third, right? Yeah. And like he was involved in was he involved in the pizza connection case uh he was involved in bcci right i do not recall if he was involved i don't re- recognize that name until recently and i still get his name confused with comey so oh yeah, yeah. no actually you're right yeah. comey i believe was involved in the pizza connection case but one thing that was interesting about robert mueller is i didn't quite realize like how blue blood of a background he had and some of his family connections yeah he actually he did oversee uh the prosecutions of manuel noriega pan am flight 103 the lockerbie bombing and and john Gotti and bccci um really specialized in white collar stuff but i didn't realize that he's actually uh well first of all i think he's the grand nephew of god i'm trying to look it up right now um the of like a, a railroad executive um and was also connected with a lot of other powerful families and actually is the first cousin once removed of Richard Bissell Jr., the CIA, like, Bay of Pigs guy. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, let me see if I can bring it up right here. Yeah, uh, yeah, Robert Swan Mueller III and Richard Bissell Jr. are first cousins uh because she, yeah, Richard Bissell's mother's maiden name was Truesdale, and I believe she is the daughter of William Truesdale, who was, yes, an American railroad executive of the Delaware, Lackawanna, and Western Railroad at the turn of the century. And uh, I guess, yeah, his daughter married. I'm just starting to realize, like, all these people are much more uh, kind of connected um yeah, they, Richard Bissell was born in Mark Twain's mansion in Harvard, Hartford, Connecticut. Bissell, I believe, was Skull and Bones at Yale and then, you know, developed the U-2 spy plane, the SR-71 Blackbird, and was the architect, yeah, of the Bay of Pigs. So, I mean, that's a good, interesting family connections then for Mueller to be taking down the mafia and being this guy who i don't know what did you what did you make of Mueller's whole investigation into trump that's a good question i think there's a lot of stuff that went that they didn't look into a lot of stuff about epstein they didn't look into connections trump and epstein trump and little Mm -hmm. kids a lot of stuff they didn't look into that's what i think oh you know what i you know what i wanted to ask you i i think you're probably aware of this but what is the deal with donald trump and resorts international that's a fascinating story. The whole, because um, uh, I'm just finding out now, uh, I'm hearing, about the how the Rothschilds uh, bailed him out of that deal. Um, but uh, really? it was a funny, it was, yeah, oh no, yeah, you don't know that? That was, it, it was a fascinating story. Someone really has to really, I, I put together the stuff that I knew, because there was a couple of private investigators working at who switched sides in mid 
uh, litigation and stuff. And Merv mm. Griffin, the, the, the thing yep. that always struck me is Trump says, oh, I got the best of Merv Griffin. I got the best of that deal. And Merv Griffin would just smile and say, I got everything I wanted. Wow. And what's even funnier than that is um, at the time, remember um, Disco Fever, the dance show on TV? You probably don't remember Denny Terrio. Yeah. I'm probably too young. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, too young for it probably, but okay, yeah, Disco okay. Fever. There was this character named Denny Terrio who taught John Travolta how to dance for Saturday Night Fever, and they gave him his own TV show called Disco Fever. I think, uh, I'm pretty sure mm. Merv Griffin Productions is the one who produced it for him. So it turned out Denny mm -hmm. Terrio was a roommate of my girlfriend's brother. And wow. he used to come home and say, Merv Griffin's chasing me around the office. <laughs> he wants me to have sex with him. He's demanding Oh, yeah, yeah. And, yeah and he I've heard that, it. too. I, I think yeah. I, I read that. He had some kind of Me Too-ish kind of allegations against him in later years. And people would say he would chase them around the office. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. I mean, that's very weird. Yeah, because then I think he eventually spun that company off to Saul Kersner, uh, who was a like, real estate magnate in like a resort magnet in uh, South Africa who has a, who's been rumored, who is like an, a, pretty much a supporter of the apartheid government and had a lot of organized international organized crime connections. I think once once Merv Griffin and Trump kind of had their they settled what you know their their battle over that company, it was Merv Griffin that got Paradise Island, which was kind of the original core of Resorts International. And then eventually, I think Saul Kersner, he has the Atlantis Resort on it today. Um, but I dug into it a few years ago. Did you know that resort, uh, the, the island that Resorts International was on, we discovered a few really crazy things about it. But one, that I think around World War II and right after, that island was owned by a Swedish industrialist named Axel Venner Gren, who was basically a Nazi. He was friends with Hermann Goering and also the uh, the former king of England, who was like the, the governor general of the Bahamas during the war and was uh, suspected of the FBI of being a Nazi spy uh, during the war. And he owned Paradise Island that Resorts International would later be built on. But you know what that guy did? He went on to build the Disneyland monorail and was friends with Walt Disney. So you go, you got a, you got a Nazi uh, billionaire there. Then on top of that, um, are you familiar with the story of Candy Jones, Ed? Yeah, I think I did it. Um, I think yeah, I interviewed the guy that did the book about her. She's the one that was passed around all the millionaires, right? Uh, well, yeah, no. yeah. She was the model, the World War II pinup girl who believes that she was hypno-programmed by the CIA to be like a. a a hypnotized spy basically and yeah there was some stuff like that where she was taken to cia headquarters and kind of uh forced to do various compromising things she had a you know long john nebel right okay I, I know this story i yeah. know this story yeah, yeah long yeah, john the, nebel the, was, it was fascinated with her yeah mm -hmm. yeah they were married they were married right okay. um and i think yeah so our latest episode like was all about that book by Donald Bain, but there was something that jumped out at the end cuz I, I don't know if you remember that she had an episode where she felt like she was being set up to go down to the Bahamas and commit suicide around the time that Long John Neville was kind of trying to get her out of this whole CIA thing. And wouldn't you know it, where her trip was being planned by, you know, probably the CIA to go jump off a cliff, it was Paradise Island, Resorts International. <laughs> you know, I tell you, so, in the I'm, early I'm 70s. I'm hearing something new here because I thought that the Merv Griffin 
Paradise uh, Resorts International problem was Atlantic City, no? It's an island? It, it was both. It oh, was okay. both. They had they had both. Yeah, so the island is really important. That's where it started, in the Bahamas. But then it eventually moved up. When they legalized gambling in Atlantic City, I believe, they moved up to Atlantic City and were basically, I think, among the first. Yeah, they opened the Resorts Casino Hotel in Atlantic City in 1978. And then uh, in 86, after James Crosby, the chairman, died, then Donald Trump took it over and then they got in these fights. And I think Donald Trump ended up with a couple Atlantic City casinos as part of the settlement with Merv Griffin. So basically, I think the way it split was Merv Griffin got to keep the island and the resort casino there. And Donald Trump got the resorts casino, which I think he renamed uh, in Atlantic City. But uh, yeah, I think it was actually the the Taj Mahal project. I be- Yeah, they started building the Taj Mahal casino in 1983 and then I believe Trump got to inherit it after as a part of his settlement. So, yeah, just, you know. So, so Trump wound up with a casino in Atlantic City where everybody was 90 years old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that place and, was you such know, a disaster, and, right? Oh, yeah, I've, I've only been there once, but, yeah, very, um, uh, yeah, rough and, rough and tumble town, you know. And I actually noticed here that, that Merv Griffin's purchase when he started this whole takeover was financed by Michael Milken and his high-interest junk bonds. Yeah, And that guy's a whole, like, uh, he's doing all this Clinton Foundation stuff. He's got, like, the Milken Institute in Los Angeles, all these big people. I think I found years ago that Brock Pierce was going to Milken Institute gatherings, uh hobnobbing with everybody he was involved in the clinton foundation too like way back like 2008 um but (laughs) i digress but the the yeah the the trump thing is weird because it seems so mafia connected it's rumored to have been started by kind of a joint venture by alan dulles and meyer lansky i think in the in the early 60s um yeah in the early to mid 60s through a company called the mary carter paint company which is, yeah, a New Jersey paint manufacturer. Um, And then, yeah, so this paint company goes and buys a casino island, an island in the Bahamas, and decides to build a casino. Totally normal, sounds like so far. And, yeah, when the main guy dies in the 80s, Trump swoops in. Now, why do you think Trump swooped in to buy the the Bahaman part? I guess maybe, when did he officially kind of get involved in Atlantic City? Was it in the early or the late eighties? Okay, the first one had to be um, uh, or had to be early eighties because my sister got married in uh, around nineteen eighty, and uh, I know they had gone down to um, Ivanka's Ivana's restaurant at the Trump mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Casino down there, which was nice in the beginning. It was, it was a beautiful. Mm-hmm. Ivana's was at the time was the nicest restaurant I'd ever been to. Wow. The fancy. Well, didn't she? She had a heavy hand in like the uh, the decoration and the design of oh, the yeah. whole place, right? Mm, yeah, interesting. It was a beautiful place. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, yeah. So I guess maybe he. I don't. I mean, there. There. I feel like there. There has to be something going on there with uh, his, him getting directly into the casino business, especially when you think about like Howard Hughes. And the history of places like Las Vegas, there's such extensive mafia ties going on there. Um, and then he lost money on all that casino stuff, right? Which is pretty hard to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> unless it's getting taken out the back door, yeah, right? Yeah. 
tell us the story about Giuliani and Nikki Barnes? Yeah, because you were saying before about the relationship with the SDNY prosecutor's office and organized crime, right? Mm-hmm. And right around that same time, in the 70s, when Nikki Barnes um, got arrested and he was doing time. Uh, by the way, too, you know, my ex-partner's father is the guy who arrested Nikki Barnes for bribery. Wow. Okay? Or he tells that story, it's hysterical. Okay. And he passed away in that way. When he told that story, it's hysterical. Um, so what happened was Nikki Barnes is in prison, and uh, the guy who was in command running his heroin operation started dating his wife in public. So Barnes was upset about this. He tried to get him to stop and just do it in private. He says, I understand. You know, okay, I'm away, but you don't, don't do you're, you're making a fool out of me. Mm-hmm. They won't listen to him. Nikki Barnes sends two guys over there to kill him, right? But instead of going there to kill him, they sit down at the table, and they eat with him, and they party with him all night long, right? So Barnes mm-hmm. has nowhere to turn. So he turns to Rudy Giuliani the prosecutor's office. And he says, listen, the, my motivation for doing this, for coming to you, is because I got guys out there supposed to be doing things for me, but they're doing things against me. Now, this is all on tape. You can listen to it. <laughs> it's, on, it's on YouTube, okay? Wow. All right? So the next night, two white guys go into that same club and shoot up the ex-partner and the, and the, the other guys, the, the hitmen, right? And then wow. <laughs> the next day, Rudy Giuliani in the documentary is in front of that nightclub Doing the press conference, he's the one investigating the murders. Oh my God! That's wow, what, that was New York City in the '80s and the '70s and '80s. That's what wow. it was like. Oof. Wow. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's hard to imagine. We we both lived in New York uh, for a while, mm-hmm. but much later after uh, the the storm, so to speak, and it, it's hard to it's, it's hard to wrap my head around some of the stories that. Uh, the stuff like that, like the stuff that you tell from the, yeah. the 70s and the 80s, even going into the 90s, it was a real wild place, wild place. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, uh, uh, Khalid, did you have a question you wanted to ask, Ed? Yeah, well, I was just wondering, Ed, what you attribute your longevity to in this field. Uh, you know, you've been doing this for a really long time. Uh, it's something that uh, can actually be, you know, somewhat dangerous, involves certain risks. Uh, you've been, like, in a lot of different uh, fields, and you've, you've worked in a lot of different domains. Uh, so I was just wondering what, like, above all, would you say is the uh, the reason for how long you've been able to, to persist in, in this uh, area? What is that, a threat? <laughs> no. Uh, well, it, I am, yeah, I'm wondering, you know, kind of, like, you know, why are you still alive? You know, like, uh, yeah, just, uh, you know. Uh, we're asking for yeah. advice, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, right. You're right, you know, you're right. I, I've had, you know, I don't know, man. I've just uh, always, I, I, I remember I said once I could be in a bus crash where everybody on the bus dies and I'll walk right out of it, you know. I've just been, mm-hmm. uh, I guess, a lot of luck, you know, a lot of good faith, you know, clean living. <laughs> You know, and yeah. also too, I think um, everybody I deal with knows I'm a straight shooter. I'm not messing with people. I'm not, you know, lying to people, ripping people off. People know they can trust me. You know, if they keep, right. if I have to keep a secret, you know, I'm not going to burn people that I'm good, that are good to me, and I'm good to them. 
So that's, you know, I think you get far away with that. Like, no one has a beef with me, you know, that they've done something, you know. Mm-hmm. So there's that. Um, you know, my faith in God, you know, uh, I, I yeah. address a lot of my um, uh, my life, the miracles in my life to my faith in God, you know, for sure. Mm-hmm. But even with that, yeah. I, I'm sure there's been some other hands to uh, moving things in, in my favor. Again, older people in my life that have known me. Uh, that maybe had some kind of connections that kind of kept an eye out for me because, again, I was a good kid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I will say, Ed, that's something that uh, I appreciate about your show uh, that we delve into sometimes is you're one of the very few people, I feel like, in this sphere that is uh, two things that don't usually go together is that you're a guy who calls himself a socialist but you're also religious. Mm. Right? Yeah, and I can't Which we're that. very friendly to on, yeah. on, on this podcast. <laughs> uh, Which just yeah, seems like uh, the, natural, uh, the natural course of things. I, I, don't, I guess maybe people who, who um, uh, are like right-wing uh, Christians, you know, who don't believe in you know, food stamps for hungry children, <laughs> you know, or, yeah. or, or never really yeah. understood the story of the Good Samaritan, you know, who is my neighbor, you know, is that guy... Climbing over the wall looking for help, you know? Is that your neighbor, brother? Right. You know, and I guess a lot of people mm-hmm. just don't get that, you know? But it's, it's in the teaching, too. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would agree. Right. I was raised mm-hmm. Catholic, and that always jumped out at me is the idea Jesus doesn't seem like a capitalist, <laughs> you know? Yeah. No. I was raised Catholic, yeah, too, definitely by the way. not. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, in the Bronx. That's right. That same uh, school that the Sotomayor went to, uh, Blessed Sacrament. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, mm-hmm. but we, we like to talk about that a lot because I think there's a lot uh, there, there's a lot of anti-socialism, anti-communism stuff on the particularly in like American Christianity, really Western Christianity mm-hmm. in general, and then there's also a lot of hostility towards religion among people who consider themselves socialists or Marxists or communists or things like that, and uh, that's that's always been it's been one of my bugaboos that's developed of, you know, I think uh, socialists should really like not be so hostile to, or I, I don't think atheism has to go along with like fairly redistributing everybody's, uh, the resources of, you know, society in an equitable way. You know what I mean? I, and, I, I, and yeah. sometimes you need like a deeper moral kind of, uh, it can be helpful. I think to have the, you know, a, a lot of the good things that have happened, I think, in the United States often were, you know, like the civil rights struggles and things like that were by people who were religious and had, like, that kind of conviction for it. So I think at least in an American context, it's like a, it's a potent combination if anybody's, you know, willing to to actually combine them. Yeah, and it, it goes, too, like, uh, you'll have these right-wingers say they believe in liberty, you know, well, we believe in liberty. Mm-hmm. But then right. they're supporting police shooting down people in <laughs> people in the street, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Support the yeah, blue, yeah. Or, you know. At the same time, so yeah, there's just so much. Right. Uh, and and 90 percent of the people that don't even understand what the word socialism means. They think it has something to do with uh, the uh, freedom, you know. They, they just don't yeah. get it, you know. And but it's not their fault, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. No, it was yeah, it was right. pounded into people's heads. Meanings. Yeah. For these words, yeah, mm-hmm. they represent their, like liberty doesn't mean liberty uh, in any abstract way. It just means like the dominance of their views. Yeah. Like that's why is you know if there's any threat to the cultural dominance of their opinions, that's an attack on liberty. But 
if liberty is like actual liberty in like the technical sense is being threatened that doesn't actually matter and it doesn't have anything to do with liberty as they define it uh and it's not a problem mm-hmm. uh yeah yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But, we, yeah we were just uh, talking yeah. about that and uh i think we just uh, dug up we were discussing an episode recorded the other day at um uh, we're we're uh looking through um I guess in the history of like WBAI, they yeah. tried to have a thing maybe in the 60s where they'd have left wing people on and then like right wing people on to sort of satisfy the fairness doctrine. But a lot of a lot of right wing people wouldn't go on. And I one of them had a pretty hilarious quote of like, I like I respect the constitutional right to free speech too much to pretend that to, to like sit there and let some communists make a mockery of it. So basically they said, we're not going on unless you ban all communists from your radio station because we believe in free speech so much that, you know, uh, that we're not going to pretend that a communist like is, you know, not using it uh, as a weapon to like destroy liberty. So it's basically like whatever, you know, uh, reifies what the system we already have that we want to maintain is liberty and anybody talking, you know, so there's really, yeah, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. that's a but strong yeah, dynamic. Yeah. I definitely think that faith in God is very indispensable in this uh, area and is a, uh, an a- a aspect and a dimension of this that uh, people often underappreciate because they don't really see the value that it can have or the uh, benefit that it can have materially. They don't understand how that can work. But it really, you know, if you take a step towards God, he'll take 10 steps towards you, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I think, you know, uh, it's something that has uh, a real uh, bad value and does, does pay serious dividends. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that is, I think, uh, definitely an important lesson to take. Yeah. And especially also, I mean, with all this QAnon stuff going around, first of all, I, I feel like that even they them talking about satanic cults kind of uh, shit coats the whole thing for any like real discussion of it. And but at the same time, like, you know, how do you explain all these like QAnon generals that are all Christian American patriots that are like hanging out with Aquino, the biggest Satanist ever, you know, like somebody like Paul Valley, you know, it, it's it's kind of mind blowing how people could compartmentalize that into, you know, I would imagine that, like, you know, George Patton III, who Aquino worked for, was a pretty rock-ribbed Christian. I'm sure it's what he considered himself. But, you know, it's like, if that's how far you're willing to compromise in order to beat the godless commies, you're willing to team up with this, you know, uh, pudgy Dracula Satanist wizard who wants to do mind war on the entire world. Even putting him aside, you know, um, Flynn's association with uh, George Nader, you know, there's no way oh, George yeah. Nader came into his office all those times and then they didn't. You, you don't get into the, to the White House. <laughs> you don't get into meetings uh-huh. with these people without them. You give me your date of birth, and I'm going to run your criminal record. That's going to happen. So there's no way they didn't know about what this guy was up to. And he's bringing a phone with child porn down to Mar-a-Lago with him. What if you lost the phone? You know? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, just and, and Nader Nader was a consultant to Eric Prince. I mean, I remember remember that story that kind of got buried where he it was, was like also right before involved the election with, with uh, uh, Khomeini negotiating the hostage releases in Iran. <gasps> that guy was all over really? the place. Man. Oh, that that was, was in cool. our fir- that was in our first Contra episode where we talked about the October surprise. Yeah, yeah, I didn't realize Nader was involved in that. Yikes. Oh yeah, and 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 Armenian hostage negotiations. Yeah, 
Yeah, and then you got uh, Bannon, you know, up to his neck in this kind of stuff, and uh, Trump's yeah, association yeah. with Epstein, and, and uh, you know, even you know, Bannon said that uh, about Bannon was very close friends with Epstein too, as well as long as well was that yeah. guy Wolf who wrote the book Fire and Fury, been on Epstein's plane many times. Really? And that, oh God! Oh, you didn't know that, man? Do you I know, didn't know but, that. Okay, you know how the story is about why did Trump and Epstein have a falling out? Okay. Uh huh. We got some cockamamie story it came from Roger Stone, you know. Trump thought Epstein was such a nice guy for letting the kids use his pool. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that crazy yeah. story, right? Uh, but the other yeah. story you got comes from Epstein, okay, who had a, we used to do this thing with these comedians. You can look this up online. He's, I, in fact, I posted the article <gasps> someplace. Oh, yeah. And he, yeah, Epstein I'm, told I'm, the comedians, well, the reason was is because of Trump doing this thing of hitting on people's uh, uh, wives. And sleeping with his, the wives of his friends, and he would do this stunt where he would put them on a speakerphone, and the wives would hear the husbands cheating. Wolf tells the exact same story that, that Epstein told to those comedians. Okay, and Wolf knew Epstein. Wow. And then you got Bannon wow. saying about when that whole thing was coming up about that guy Roy Moore down there, whatever that was in Georgia, whatever the, yeah. the guy with the little girls. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in Alabama. Yeah. Right. And mm -hmm. Bannon said, "Well, what about you?" He was because uh, Ivanka was complaining. And Bannon says in the press, well, what about your father and that 13-year-old? Okay. He knows wow. both of them. He believes the story. So oh, where's that coming wow. from? You know? And, and yeah. Flynn was, was yeah. with this guy, Nader. Um, Manafort, the whole scandal with him and his men, up other men sleeping with his wife and all this stuff like that. Same thing. Roger Stone does the exact same stuff. Oh, and yeah. No, the, Roger Stone is kind of a cuckold. Yeah, oh, yeah. He's really into that, right? Manafort, too. Exactly. The same exact thing. Really? Yeah, oh, yeah. They, they hacked into Manafort's emails and, and they got all that stuff. And they have his daughter saying, has mom been tested for, for, for STDs? Oh, I think I remember that. Yeah, has yeah. mom been tested for STDs? Yeah. Yeah, and... Uh, so Paul Manafort, the other thing that always drove me crazy about the the whole Miller investigation is I feel like when I looked, it just looked at the bio, uh, the resume of Paul Manafort, it just screamed CIA to me because he was representing like Jonas Savimbi in the Angolan Civil War and a bunch of other people that were basically yeah. Oh, yeah. CIA proxies or CIA assets. And even in Ukraine, I think a lot of people, I don't know, the, the, the whole kind of politics about, you know, Ukraine and Russia and stuff like that, it seems almost more likely to me that he and Roger Stone were doing something on behalf of U.S. interests in Ukraine and they were not Russian agents. Now, were they involved maybe with, like, criminal elements? Because, of course, the Russian organized crime yeah. is, like, so vast and probably had its tentacles all up in Ukraine. Uh, sure, yeah. But I, I feel like there's, like, a CIA connection to these guys running around the world being, you know, the torture lobbyists, basically, but, like, basically for CIA assets mostly. And the fact that... I forget there was a lot of inside baseball with the kind of natural gas deals that the EU and Russia were both kind of competing for the yeah, Rosneft. Ukraine. Ros like, the whole, yeah, yeah Rosneft. Google the shows I did on Rosneft, man. They, they, they were all hooked up with it. They're on both sides of the aisle, which is why nobody talks about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that has to probably intersect somewhere, interlock with Hunter Biden and uh, Burisma and all that stuff. That also seems like CIA kind of uh, machinations going on, and that's probably why Hunter Biden's not going to get—I I would think if there's a 
if there's a real if there's a, the biggest reason why maybe they aren't gonna you know slap him with anything or you know dig into it any further of course it would be embarrassing to like joe biden but i think a lot of it is like it might have been he might have been doing this as like an unofficial in an unofficial capacity for the u.s government and trying to like exert influence basically in ukraine and that's why they're probably not going to prosecute him as, as scandalous as it may look um well, you know he was working forget. for the company before i forget because you were talking about the the torturers uh, lobbyist company they have a manafort and stone right mm-hmm. yeah another guy who got involved in that company used to be the sergeant at arms of the senate and his name was leaving <gasps> that's right right oh and he God, became yeah. a lobbyist and his company became so big he merged with the manafort and stone and his son just mm-hmm. committed suicide on January 7th because he was the sergeant. Yep. He was a one of the, he was a hill cop down there. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the hill cop that killed himself. Yep. That is pretty wild. Yep. Yeah. And now and now we feel now we found out that both of those uh, Capitol Hill police officers were not killed, but one committed suicide and one uh, coincidentally maybe dropped dead from a stroke. stroke. Yeah. I don't believe uh, that at all. I, I think they were both killed. I think they were part of the, the insurrection, and they were both uh, gotten rid of by, by other people. It's part of the plan. Because, you know, Manafort's company did the event planning that day. Really? Hmm. Manafort's event planning company did the event planning that day. Oh, interesting. There's a lot of connections in that. I did a whole show on it. There's a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I feel like, uh, and then of course there's we we brought up when I went on yours, uh, Charles Flynn, who was like in the room, right. kind of on the phone with everybody, planning the National Guard response to January sixth, which yeah has been barely talked about, but he's a, he's the deputy chief of staff G three five seven since June twenty nineteen, so he's pretty high up. I mean, yeah, three-star general. It's only one one star higher you can go after that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's almost been not talked about at all. I mean, you'd think that Michael Flynn gets bagged on a lot by kind of the liberal side of mainstream media, but yet there's been very little discussion about how, yeah, like Charles Flynn is still at the highest levels and yeah. seems to be, nobody seems to mind. Um Man, Flynn wanted to kidnap yeah. that Turkish guy. <laughs> you know, like, like he never oh, mentioned uh, it. Oh, uh, Gulan, brother. right? Yeah, come on, you know. But you guys, yeah, know, they're all wrapped up in the Turkish lobby. Oh no, they're all in the lobby all over the place. But you guys know the story about the uh, Hunter Biden's laptop and Giuliani and Bo Deedle and Birkenfeld and all that. I've followed it somewhat, a lot from the interviews you've done. What have you been able to suss out about the laptop, like at this point? Well, it's a, it's a, the, the whole story is a long, long story. And, and my connection to uh, to Keith Ablo and stuff like that. But we'll just hit the end part of it, and shorten it a bit. Hunter Biden went to live with Dr. Keith Ablo for three months, and uh, when he left, Keith Ablo retained his laptop and uh, some uh, notebooks and diaries and all kinds of stuff. Okay, and um, Bradley Birkenfeld was a uh, Swiss banker whistleblower mm-hmm. who wrote a book yeah. called uh, Lucifer's Banker. Yeah. Did some time, mm-hmm. but he got 125, uh, 125 million whistleblower compensation for the information he, he turned over. So he wrote a book, Lucifer's Banker. They have a book launching party. Who's at the party? Who's Giuliani, Bo Deedle, Bernie Carrick, um, 
John Kirikawa, the CIA uh, whistleblower. And oh, yeah. I think uh, Avalo's brother was there is what happened. But anyway, so this crew gets word that Keith Avalo has Hunter Biden's laptop and he wants $2 million for it. The only place you're going to hear that reported is on my show on my Patreon where Birkenfeld tells me directly. Okay. And mm-hmm. story wow. is, yeah, I know. <laughs> the story is Birkenfeld and uh, Bo Deedle, uh go down to negotiate with Dr. Keith Ablo in Massachusetts. And that evening, uh, negotiations break down. And the next day, the DEA shows up with a search warrant uh, for Dr. Keith Ablo and take the laptop. Wow, and that's the last we've heard of it. <laughs> no, that, uh, yeah. according to Birkenfeld, he believes that the material from that laptop was placed on the other laptop that went, that went to the, the Mac uh, repair place in Delaware. And I said, well, then who? Interesting. So this would be the, the actual chain of custody for that for the one laptop right. is, this is it, the one that was actually right. reported on and found at that weird Mac store right. is a clone I, I also have of to, the real one. Right, because I even have on my website, on my Patreon, a, a incredible press conference where four reporters are in that Mac uh, uh, store that he let four guys in and they grilled him. Yes. And anytime time he got down to the chain of custody, he broke down and he said, no comment. Okay. And I have that for free. The whole thing was sent to I, me. Yeah. I listened to that. I listened okay. to that when you uploaded yeah. it. It is uh, bizarre. Yeah. The guy says to me, Ed, this is so important, man, but I can't betray <laughs> and, and say, you know, say that I was recording everybody at the thing, but here you go. So he gave it to me. Um, oh, they gave it to me. I'll say it. <laughs> it's a matter of it. But anyways, yeah, wow. so that's the, and then so I said to Birkenfeld, so Birkenfeld tries to say to me, so I guess the the DEA was involved, or they got it somehow over there. They must have my phone tapped, he says. <laughs> and I says, well, Bradley, doesn't it seem more likely that you know someone like Giuliani could have called a judge and, and had that pulled off? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, what do you make of Giuliani kind of making such a, apparently such a fool out of himself with both, I feel like, the laptop thing and with the challenging the election, everything leading up to January 6th? Because it seems like he's up to something, but he was almost acting, and maybe he's just losing it or whatever, but or he doesn't care anymore, but it seemed like almost he was being too incompetent, like it was conspicuous how incompetent he was being. What do you think about That's that? That's interesting. And the whole Lynn Wood thing, too, man, who just totally yeah. disintegrated right before <laughs> our eyes. You know, yeah. I couldn't take my eyes off it. And then he oh, starts yeah. quoting. Yeah. He starts quoting this guy, Timothy Holmseth, who's a guy I found. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, my God. I wanted to do a book about Kay- a, a show about Casey Anthony. So I found yeah. Tim- Timothy Holmseth wrote a book about Casey Anthony. Casey Anthony self-published it. I brought him on my show, and he's telling he's, he's all over the place. But I thought it was my fault that he wasn't making sense because I had just been through a custody <laughs> evaluation with a therapist that day right before I ran home and did the interview. So I went through, I was going through all my custody stuff. So that was his first interview he ever did anywhere with anybody. And he starts sending me press releases every couple of days after that, right? So I have him back because right? I thought he was out there you know, on the right side doing legit stuff. I have him back, and he's even worse than the first time. He's making no sense. He's on meth mm-hmm. or something, you know? So the guy winds um, up. Uh, he's uh, trying to get me to commit some crime for him, you know? Like he had a restraining <laughs> order. <laughs> you know? Yeah, he had a restraining order. He's trying to get me to work around it, you know? And I said, man, dude, this is crazy. 
And uh, so he winds up violating that restraining order and going on the run. He was a fugitive for, for a period of time. Finally, he gets arrested. Wow. This is Lynn Wood's source that, that Mike Pence is a pedophile. Wow. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Mike Pence is a little weird. He is in that group, The Family, which is like a very creepy yeah. kind of religious, para-religious yeah. kind of group that, that teaches that, I don't know, it like teaches you to praise like Jesus, uh, Pol Pot, and Hitler simultaneously. Really? Because, yeah, it's like a very, the guy Doug Coe, uh, C-O-E, who is really big with George Bush, really close with George Bush, and that kind of uh, a Republican milieu. And yeah, there, I think Jeff Charlotte, the journalist, wrote a book. He kind of infiltrated them for a year called The Family. And Mike Flynn was in it. Hillary Clinton was in it for a while. Really? Um, a, a number of Republicans that got caught caught up in like sex scandals and stuff like that were also involved. I think I want to say maybe Mark Foley was involved in it for a little while. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's like very, you know, on the out, they, they run the national prayer breakfast every year, you know, very kind of innocent, uh, normal. OK, I've heard that story. I, I know that story. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. And I think they were mixed yeah. up with the finders too. the little overlap with the finders. There may have been. There may have been. Mm. Uh, that wouldn't surprise me at all because Doug Coe, super mm. creepy guy. Yeah, he would give these very weird kind of speeches like recasting Jesus as a kind of manifest destiny, like will to power. Honestly, it sounds like Aleister Crowley. Like it sounds wait, like a, a psychotic, like will to power kind yeah. of thing. Who wrote the book? I'm uh, trying to get him on the show. Jeff Charlotte, I think S-H-A-R-L-E-T. He's on Twitter. You can find him there. And yeah, he definitely reported that Mike Pence was a part of it and wow. uh yeah it's like you know they they live in dormitories in washington a lot of congressmen like live at the dormitories of the family but they've also specialized in recruiting like african leaders into this family and convincing them you know usually kind of like right-wing u.s backed african leaders the kind that would be yeah you know cia assets um you know and that that really kicked up around like the 90s when they started really going after africa and that that's really a whole thing i don't know if al sharpton ever went over there but jesse jackson al sharpton was in rwanda uh, when that stuff was going on really casey oh, gain's gonna that. blow up the, the internet tomorrow when, when it comes on the show uh, he, and he was down in the Caribbean down there with, uh, uh, I forget whose who's wife, one of these, uh, uh, the, the president's wife down there in the Caribbean. Um, he's got good stuff, man. And and it does appear wow. that Sharpton's wow. up to his neck in a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know his friend Jesse Jackson and some of my own research years ago about what was going on in West Africa in the 90s. He was uh, picked by the Clintons to go over and negotiate a peace deal in Sierra Leone during that country's civil war. And that's where all the blood diamonds were coming from. We'll, we'll do a whole episode on it one day uh, because there, there's some really crazy stuff, even connecting to like 9-11 going on in Liberia and Sierra Leone in the late 90s. But Jesse Jackson went over there to negotiate this peace deal. There's a funny story I think you can still find on BBC where uh, he kind of insulted the people. I want to say maybe it was in Togo where they had this uh, peace <laughs> summit. And he refused He refused to get out of the helicopter that brought him there until the CNN cameras arrived. And he, like, held up the whole peace talk because there weren't cameras to catch him, like, exiting the helicopter and looking cool. And he ended up dealing with Charles Taylor, who was a CIA asset going back to the 80s. The CIA broke him out of prison in Massachusetts and shipped him off to go to Libya to train under Muammar Gaddafi, but he was probably spying on him. Anyways, he ended up president in the 90s, and 
Jesse and he was he was basically sponsoring these rebels in Sierra Leone that were like cutting people's hands off and raping people using child soldiers all to control these diamond fields and Jesse Jackson like negotiated this soup he played tennis with Charles Taylor they became best buddies wow. and then he negotiated this like sweetheart deal that basically ceded the control of all the most profitable diamond regions to this rebel army that also might have been like CIA or British backed and basically gave like a kind of Charles Taylor like free reign to keep extracting blood diamonds out of there and he was wrapped up with like the Saudis and uh, Bin Mahfouz and Al-Qaeda was there laundering money in 99 and 2000 laundering tens of millions of dollars into diamonds right before 9-11 anyways that's a whole thing but Jesse Jackson all up in the middle of it also Susan Rice yeah. you know who's uh, very close with Biden she went over there uh, for similar kind of peace talks to mediate things in the late 90s she went to meet with the kind of left leaning president of Nigeria, and when they went to meet with him, they, they go down, her and I, I'm forgetting who the other diplomat was, another very blue blood kind of guy. They go down and they have tea and they start talking with him. The guy and clutches dies, his yeah. chest and he dies. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, and you know, she was, she's Stanford. I mean, she's like super plugged in. I thought it was weird she didn't get a cabinet position or <clears throat> I almost thought she was going to be VP for a while. But you know, my I think daughter actually she... met her. My daughter met her oh, in yeah? college when she came to speak at the college. Yeah, but Casey Gaines. Oh, wow. We just did a whole show about this, about uh, Susan Rice and all these stories. Um, you should have him on the show. You guys. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Um, Khalid, do you want to ask? You wanted to ask a Vegas question, right? Yeah, well, I was just wondering if you uh, had any updates on your investigation of Stephen Paddock uh, and what your thoughts were on that at this at this point. Well, oh boy, um, I, I think Paddock. What happened with Paddock was, is you know, uh, he went crazy from playing that Joker poker nineteen hours a day. And yeah, uh, I've yeah. always thought that too. Like people yeah. have been like, it doesn't make any sense. How did this guy? You know, I'm like, if you do that, like you will lose your mind. Like that. Mm. It, like you know, it's not really it's so like, true. but yeah, uh, yeah. Even if you play for an hour, you get hypnotized and you're hitting those buttons. You don't realize what you're hitting anymore. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. And yeah. he was doing this for right. years and years and years. Um, yeah. I, I, someone just showed me something recently. Maybe you guys heard about this or whatever. But that uh, someone connected to him was arrested at a bus stop out in front of Best Friends for Animals in Utah. Oh. That's interesting. Yeah. Wow. I've been following like some of the best friends for animals stuff, like uh, yep. yeah, recently. Uh, I mean, that's like a big process thing, I guess. Oh uh, yeah, because but if you look over there, there's, there's in, nothing. Yeah. There's no reason to be at that bus stop unless you just came out of best friends. <laughs> there's nothing else there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah where's that? Kanab, <laughs> Utah. Yeah, and they renamed the street. They just you know they just made up a name and renamed the street. The road that's out there in front of them. It's like a highway almost. Uh, so wow. Paddock, yeah, you know, uh, here's my big thing with Paddock. And, and well, you know, I lived, I was there, and I know a lot of stuff that hasn't been reported nationwide, you know. And so much of the stuff you see on the Internet is just so wrong and just ge geographically wrong and just crazy. Um, they get stuff just wrong. Um, my friend ran the whole family resource center, coordinating the lawsuits and the insurance companies and FEMA and the Red Cross and all those attorneys and law enforcement and everything. I uh, was down there for some of the press conferences that, that people so, thought was so suspicious. You know, there's nothing unusual. 
Um, no one in the local press there or the local, you know, and plus years later, people I went to church with, friends of mine, you know, sharing stories. There's nothing sinister, crazy sinister, big cover up with Arabs and helicopters and, um, you know, Mandalay Bay, you know, the four seasons on top of the Mandalay Bay and all this crazy stuff you hear. Um, so that's my thing with that. And, but there was a lot of a, yeah. a panic from the cops. Uh, if anything, I think there was some a lot of a, a, a friendly fire. You know, it might have killed some of these people. Mm. They left bodies yeah. underneath the stage, and they didn't go in there and get them out till five o'clock the next morning. Okay, so people died because of the incompetence. They wouldn't let the ambulances go in. The cops wouldn't go in, and the the deck the stage hands had these yellow uh, wheelbarrows, pl- big yellow plastic wheelbarrows that they were going in, taking bodies and wheeling them out and bringing them over to the ambulances. So there's a lot of stuff people have no idea what went on that week. Uh, they closed, the, well, there was another threat Thursday that week. And I had to keep my kid from school mm. home the next day, you know. But we had to keep him home from school wow. again. On, oh yeah, this was, you know, I, I was there, man. We had lived this stuff. Yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. we had to keep them home from school on Thursday because there was another threat to the schools on that Thursday. That's never been reported. Mm. All these internet experts looking at pictures. You know, one time this guy tells me, and I says, uh, they says, well, you should interview the cabbie because it was a YouTube video with some... (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to interview a guy who, just because he's on YouTube, I'm going to interview... I know 20 people down there. You know? It's it's crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, Yeah. no, I really like your fundamental take on that because I've always... It almost... Like, uh, one of my uh, long-standing takes on that issue is that, uh, you know, people who have been like, you know, he had everything, you know, he had so much money, you know, why... Well, how could he... Like, why would he go insane? It's so mysterious. And I feel like it's just, like, a fundamental, like, epistemic rot that people don't understand. Like, if you, like, Mm -hmm. are in, like, the dark, living by night, like, playing this, like, demonic game, like, you're gonna lose your mind, you know? But, Mm -hmm. yeah, uh, yeah. Um, well, that, I mean, that that's even, something too. The, uh, the yeah. casinos can't have that out there. You know, they, the the local yeah. power, Adelman, you know, Adelson, all these guys, they can't have it out there. The plain Joker poker makes you go crazy and shoot up a, a town. <laughs> that's, that's bad for yeah. business. Joker poker. Yeah, just, I mean, I yeah. wow. I I just realized that like Joker, Joker, like yeah. that's a constant mm-hmm. recurring theme in mass shooters and ju- going back to Aurora in 2012. That whole I'm the Joker. Uh, you know, it's probably a few eight chan shooters that have said things along those lines. It also makes me think about just the the spate of mass shootings that we've had. I hadn't thought about this in relation to Las Vegas. I really wasn't aware of his like Joker poker addiction, but you know the latest uh, one of the latest guys was obsessed with uh, My Little Pony. Mm, you know, yeah. like they looked. Mm-hmm. Somebody he found his, his YouTube in account the, in the afterlife. Yeah, the, yeah, uh, right. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. He was yeah, kind of was brainwashed. Yeah. It was a FedEx Which one was shooter uh, recently. Yeah. He killed like 11 people. Uh, yeah, it's funny because Applejack is like the sort of. Uh, apparently, he also had like made some posts on white supremacist forums, and Applejack is kind of like the cowboy of the ponies. You know, she like works on an, an apple farm and is like a down home pony. So I guess he wanted to be, you know. Dude, you, uh, you know way too much about that, dude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I had no idea. Yeah. yeah. Well, also, you know, uh, it, I, I had tweeted about this, but the, that also reminded me of another situation, because I've seen this happen a few times now with mass shooters. The other one was, like, Nicholas Cruz, the Stoneman Douglas shooter uh, back in, like, 2018. Uh, I remember finding his YouTube channel back mm-hmm. before it probably got taken down when people were sleuthing around 
down in the aftermath of that. And that kid was super weird. I mean, he was running around. He was posting in YouTube comments like, I want to be the next mass shooter. He was telling people at school that he was going to come back and be a mass shooter one day. It was like there were like 30 calls to his like weird adoptive parents and the, the dad who, who like kind of took him in, I think had a background in army intelligence. It was a little bizarre. But the thing I remember is that he had a few different playlists of videos on his account. And they were so creepy because like one of his main playlists or maybe it was like a, a list of things he liked were basically a mixture of nothing but like a GoPro like combat cam footage from wow. the Syrian civil war and also from like Blackwater operators in Iraq that had been uploaded to YouTube and a bunch of Elsagate videos. Uh, are you familiar with Elsagate, Ed? Yeah, we did a couple of shows on that with the, uh, what's your name? Um, Doctor, the one who did all the stuff on Kraut on a on a Kinsey. Oh yeah, 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 I've heard yeah. her before. Doctor yeah. Reisman, Doctor Reisman. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah, so I mean, that's bizarre, right? Because I mean, I just I discovered Elsagate kind of when everybody did like a few years ago, and just thought it was so creepy. I mean, just the the bizarre like algorithmic like cartoons that oh, tend yeah, to just you, like you, YouTube, yeah. You, YouTube is so uh, <laughs> designed. Yeah. You know, they, they uh -huh. can, and you know, they can target people too, just like they target us yeah. for our shopping. They can easily target people and give them, like, they can give, uh, what's his name, Jim Jordan, one, one set of YouTube views and one set of news comes on his, his computer and uh -huh. a totally different set comes online. He could be seeing yeah, stuff about yeah. illegal aliens killing people 24 hours a day and think that's real. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, when absolutely. you think about the manipulation yeah. that just like Facebook is able to do just yeah. normally. And then if you were, it's so easily deniable probably to go <laughs> so in true, right? and target somebody <laughs> with an algorithm. Or you think even think about like Cambridge Analytica or some companies yeah, like yeah. that that were kind of setting up a framework where you could do this to all kinds of people. And then what happens if you get an unstable person? Could you kind of like basically groom them just over oh, yeah. the screen? Well, and Cambridge An Analytica, by the way, supports people like Project Veritas and all that stuff like that. They're, they're, they're handing out money all over the place. And they're it's openly the bragging. It's dynasty, right? Yeah, they're openly bragging how they have prostitutes that they send to people's house to blackmail them. <laughs> yeah, no, wow. one, no one says, and by the way, too, all the whistleblowers on that stuff, I can't get one of them to come on my show. None of them will even wow. answer my, an email from me. So that's sus, you know. That's, be, that's you know. why. Yeah, it is sus. It is sus. Yeah, yeah. I think Dave Troy said on Recluse that, yeah, yeah sir. Yeah. yeah, before I forget, um, back to Judith Reisman, Dr. Judith Reisman. Mm -hmm. Who has all this fascinating stuff on Dr. Kinsey, who was the creepiest pervert you ever met in your life? Who actually mutilated yep. his penis in a bathtub, you know? And there was really? all kind of studies. Oh my God, are you kidding me? Was, but anyway, he was friends, was friends with, with Kenneth Anger, and, and Kenneth. That's Anger. what I was gonna say, right? He was friends with Crowley. We knew he was friends with Crowley, but we just found out mm -hmm. Kenneth Anger posted it. That Kenneth Anger went and uh, Kinsey went to Crowley's one of Crowley's palaces. And redid, refill the artwork in there and stuff like that. We have all the pictures. Uh huh. Yeah, they made, yeah, up, the they made a film of the right and the uh, the Abbey of Thelma there you uh, go. in Italy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There was a BBC right. film that was uh, lost uh, mysteriously, so we never got to see them going through. Yeah. It together. Were you able to confirm that uh, he had corresponded with Crowley because he was definitely fascinated with Crowley? But uh, it was uh, last I checked, it was hard to confirm if he actually had like you know confirmed correspondences with him or, or letters between them or anything like that. You'd have to listen uh, to the two-hour show I did with um, uh, Reisman. Yeah. Because I, I know. I will mm -hmm. listen. To when it. we started yeah. talking about Crowley mm -hmm. and and Kenzie, I said, well, "Have you ever said this? Have you talked about this before?" She says, "No one ever asked me before." <laughs> She's, mm, wow. No one's wow. ever asked me these no. questions before. You know, she invited me no, to come we, down we and did the, go through all the material. 
Wow. Oh, cool. That's cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, our, I think our fifth episode was all about Kenneth Anger, and we got a mm-hmm. uh, pretty. We we had a, a, a nice little uh, detour into Albert Kinsey and how like all of his groundbreaking sex research was actually, it turns out, just you know one pedophile's. Uh, recounting of yeah. his sexual exploits, and then he did then just like wrote it up as like, oh, it was this big secret study. That, yeah, a lot uh, of the statistics about like the masturbation habits of people in general were based on like the diary of some like pedo that he had, you know, uh, struck to up a friendship with. I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then Kenneth know, Anger yeah. used to shoot. Uh, actually, Kinsey used to film Kenneth Anger masturbating in his attic. Yeah, there was a lot of guys up in that attic. Um, you know, Kenneth Anger, too. I was sent a, <laughs> I was sent a video once of Tom Petty's daughter, uh, naked, uh, covered in blood, and with blood being poured on her, dancing around in a pentagram that was um, directed by... Yeah, yeah, that was directed by Kenneth Anger. Kenneth wow, Anger you know, that Yikes. makes perfect sense. Wow, He's in the that's video. amazing. Okay. Wow. That, that wow. freaks us well, out. You know, we there actually are always did... rumors about Kenneth Anger having snuff films and then secret movies recorded and things like that, you know? So, yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, uh, well, you know, he was, well, he, yeah, he was Adult Swim. Really? Mm, the Cartoon really? Network, yeah, yeah Adult Swim. By that no either. way. Yeah. No, no way. Yeah, no, yeah. I, but the Charlie Pickles? No, 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 yeah, no the, the dog, the satanic dog there, he was all involved with that thing. Now, there's a rumor out there. I'm not sure if if it's been confirmed. And and stuff you hear repeated over and over again, sometimes it's false. But that he gave uh, some bullets to uh, Mark David Chapman. Yeah, no, no. We just talked about this Mm -hmm. in our episode about the Eagles. There's actually two connections here, which is starting to creep me out a little bit, uh, that uh, that connect back to Kenneth Anger. So, one, yes. uh, Mark David Chapman approached Kenneth Anger. I think it was maybe at like a film premiere in Hawaii, of all places. Uh, Maybe, I think it was like a year year or two before he shot uh, uh, John Lennon. Um, it might have actually been like exactly a year before he shot John. Actually, no, no, I'm sorry. Um, uh, but yeah, so he approached him and offered him these bullets and then he went and shot John Lennon. Now, we just did an episode about the Eagles, the band. And okay, there's two weird things. So we we read one of our main sources from that was his book Heaven and Hell by Don Felder. You know, it was the the a guitarist who joined the Eagles and then he's the only one that's been like excommunicated from them. So he's the only one that will spill any can spill any dirt or whatever. But so he mentioned that I think it was in the early eighties. He lived in like a mansion in Malibu. And one day this super creepy guy just shows up in his yard and is uh, talking about, I don't know what, but he walks up to Don Felder and he gives him some bullets and says, these will keep you safe. And then they kind of freak out. He freaks out, brings his family inside, grabs a knife, calls the cops. This guy walks back to his car, opens up the trunk, takes out a dress. He puts on the dress and then he takes more bullets out of his trunk and then starts like throwing them around the yard kind of and like blessing them. And then he gets in his car and drives off. And I guess they the police eventually caught this guy, but he escaped from the uh, Camarillo State Mental Hospital up north of L.A., which a lot of people rumored is what the song Hotel California is actually about. It's about this mental asylum, which I looked into and had a was notorious for like abusive medical treatments and was involved, at least to some extent, in MKUltra experiments on you know, psychiatric patients. So that jumps out as like very weird that a crazy person breaks out of kind of the proverbial Hotel California 
to give Don Felder some bullets, just like Mark David Chapman did to Kenneth Anger. Now, what's even weirder about that, Ed, is that Don Felder grew up very poor and kind of obscure in Gainesville, Florida, and he supported himself when he was a teenager by teaching guitar lessons to local kids. And one of his star students that he recounts in the book was this little angel blonde-haired kid who was uh, pretty charismatic named Tommy Petty. He taught Tom Petty guitar when he was like 12, and then years later it was like, oh, look, it's Tom Petty. And, I mean, I just kind of thought, hey, what a crazy coincidence. These guys all run into each other. Um, But that's weird that then Tom Petty's little sister would be dancing around covered in blood naked in a Kenneth Anger movie. His daughter. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Tom Petty's daughter. That is very bizarre. Um, so I don't know what to make of all that. I mean, the Eagles, like, we we got into the whole thing. I, I think that, uh, you know, they always said that Anton LaVey was, like, you know, in the, the album art that you can see. Mm-hmm. I don't personally think that's true. But, you know, they were, they, were brought, they were managed by David Geffen. Like, they were David Geffen's big come up in the entertainment industry. And actually, they went on a trip where else during one of their tours they recounted this like you know in their documentary to paradise island resorts international and they almost got busted with drugs because they had a ton and their manager irving azoff had took aside some of the customs officials and had a word with them and then they were just like let through and you know not searched and stuff so it made me even wonder why was irving azoff of all the places to go on a little trip in the middle of your tour kind of interesting that he would go to Resorts International, which had all these connections with Meyer Lansky, who had all these connections back to Hollywood, and I think even things like uh, like MCA and the biggest uh, corporation. Like it, yeah, it gets into such a to, web after a while. Yeah, the Meyer Lansky uh, uh, company owned loan money to Michael Jackson. Really? Yeah, when really? he was when he was financing his uh, his book, there's uh, royalties. Well, wow. One of the companies that wow. financed was a Meyer Lansky company. Oh, yeah, uh, Meyer Lansky. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, you can. No, no. Go ahead. Saying. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, we were just wondering uh, what your current thoughts were on the. Uh, we know that you were a big proponent of the Paul is dead uh, yeah. situation. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to hear uh, what your take on that is at, at this point. You know, uh, who is like the guy who like you know, we see walking around saying that he's Paul McCartney? Uh, in in your view, we we talked about some of the possible suspects. You know, uh, what what's your like picture on how all that happened? And who is this alleged Paul McCartney today? Uh, well, that's a good question. Uh, well, you know, the thing is, <laughs> you know, if, if you look at just the Heather Mills connection to Paul McCartney, you know, mm-hmm. and her relationship with Adnan Khashoggi and, uh, and how... Oh, Ed, don't uh, you mean Adnan Hashogji? Uh, That's such a... I'm with you on that one, man. That's sus, how they they mispronounce his name. That's sus. They all do. And they party Uh line down down the... the, And then then Mm -hmm. Khashoggi dies, you know, and while Trump's in office and there's no mention of it at all, it wasn't even in the news. Zero. Zero mention. So... Nutty. I'm not married to the theory that that he's dead. I think he... It's clear he's been replaced. It's a different one there. Mm-hmm. Maybe they've all been. So the real one might still be out there oh, yeah. uh, somewhere. Yeah. And the real mm-hmm. one's brother has uh, occasional problems with the law, probably to keep him in line and keep him quiet. You know? 
Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. What do you have any do you have any line on I know you've mentioned this before, but you know, a lot of people have talked about the Beatles and the Tavistock Institute. Now, do you do you have any line on maybe uh, how because I don't know the the British invasion. The more yeah. I look back in retrospect, just seems suspicious. Like it's like oh really? Just this wave of like cute British bands just totally swept up like right after JFK's assassination and just distracted all these boomers uh, basically to be obsessed with like rock and roll and uh, all these. I mean, what do you think about that? Do you think these guys were more of a construction than kind of like some of the Laurel Canyon bands that McGowan covered? Well, it's interesting because you know, they did that uh, about Dylan's son did that documentary about Laurel Canyon. Did you see it? Yeah, you yeah, did. I did. It was a pretty uh, not not satisfying. I would no, say. no, no. But there's a lot of clues uh, in there. You know, they definitely um, they they, yeah, they yeah. were hinted around a lot. They didn't come right out and say stuff, but they definitely uh, gave a lot of tip of the hats. You know, um, a lot more than I was expecting. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, you see that scene when they talk about the uh, Abbey Studios. You know. Uh, or no, with the other yeah. ones, the studios. You know that the Beatles were, in. and they're wearing lab coats. Yeah, yeah all Abbey Road Studios. Yeah, yeah they, they were in lab white they lab did. coats, like doctors. You know. Wow. And then you mm-hmm. see that was actually. You know what? I I remember you saying that, mm-hmm. and actually in Don Felder's autobiography, when he was at, when his first band Flow, and they went up to New York to record an album, he mentioned how the recording environment. It was some German guy that ran this uh, recording studio in like New Jersey, and he mentioned how kind of the uncomfortable vibe recording in there because this guy wore a white laboratory coat as he sat behind the controls <laughs> and was like treating it like I'm a scientist, you know? And he was like, this is a little weird. Like, why is he dressed up like that? And so that just made me think of your, yeah, the Tavistock thing as well. Yeah, and also know. it turns out that all those places, uh, EMI, and, and they were all uh, defense contractors. Oh yeah, yeah. Not only that, the the thing, one of the things that uh, we dug into looking into the Eagles was: were you aware that like Warner Brothers, as we kind of know it, was actually kind of bought out by what seems to be a Meyer Lansky associated like mafia front company in the late sixties? I think it was the National Kinney Parking Company. <laughs> no, yeah, no, it, it's park it's company, really yeah. yeah. I I have to do more research. Uh, um, but it's yeah, the National Kinney Corporation. This shows you how just like bizarre things are in Hollywood in the entertainment industry. That basically they bought. Yeah, they were in the '60s and they were run by a couple of individuals um, who were very connected and it was run by a guy named Steve Ross okay so Steve Ross eventually became the CEO of Time Warner uh, and they merged with Time in like 1989 so you got the whole like Henry Luce kind of skull and bones connection but yeah Kinney Parking Company uh, bought uh, they bought the company that owned DC Comics uh, like in the 70s they got into yeah they bought Warner Brothers Seven Arts in 1967 which was struggling and that company owned Atlantic Records which was founded by Ahmet Erdogan who was the son of like a Turkish ambassador to the United States and grew up on Embassy Row and like grew up around all these like political kind of high-flying society yeah, I've actually people. heard that name before yeah well you know Frank Zappa named one of his sons after him okay. Ahmet Zappa 
That's yeah, probably. yeah. So, you know, these guys uh, had this company, um, the <laughs> Kinney company. Parking Company, that was actually, yeah, it was run by Manny Kimmel, Sigmund Dornbush, and mob figure Abner Zwillman, who was connected to Luciano and Lansky. And so they just, they buy uh, Warner Brothers Seven Arts, and then they kind of uh, reform into Warner Communications. In 1972, they had a national financial scandal involving their parking lots which i don't know or maybe being used for money laundering or something so they spun off all their parking lot business and became warner communications which is today warner media so actually like warner brothers today is like been hollowed out and like it's like a mafia wearing the the face of warner brothers you know what i mean and that company is the one that, like, David Geffen was super connected to and ended up uh, merging. And actually, okay, you're going to like this because you've had Daniel Hopsicker on oh, a yeah. lot, right? Yeah. And he's great. Like, uh, And I, I really have appreciated his coverage of, um, like, the Barry Seal movie. Remember that? Yeah. You know, with Tom Cruise and all that stuff. And he's the Barry Seal expert. And I remember he didn't like that movie very much, and part of it was because of who the director was, Doug Lyman, right? And Doug Lyman's father was Arthur Lyman, who ran, he was like the Mueller of the Iran-Contra uh, inquiry in Congress, right? He squared off against Ollie North, and then basically kind of lost. Like, none of these people really ended up going to jail, right? You could argue that maybe certain things might have been covered up, but... Wouldn't you know, when I was looking through all this corporate lineage stuff, so Steve Ross um, ended up running Warner for a few decades. He, you know who his main consigliere was? His top lawyer? His top confidant? Roy it Cohen. was uh, Arthur, uh, Arthur uh, Lyman. <laughs> really? It was Arthur Lyman. So Arthur, and Arthur Lyman was apparently instrumental in getting the old Yaley Blue Bloods at Time Magazine to convince them to merge with Time Warner and become the behemoth that we know today. So this guy was like working for Steve Ross, who basically was running this company that started out as a mob front that turned into a media conglomerate. And then simultaneously, he's turning around, getting to the bottom of Iran-Contra. Mm. And then his son makes the movie about Barry Seal, <laughs> you know, like. Yeah, but it's, oof, they, it, they always seem to make a movie with the official story, like like the movie they made about Jeff McDonald, you know? And, and, and that's, oh, and that's they what make everybody a movie? Oh yeah, two part one back. It was a TV, made for TV movie, and that the movie they made about oh. McMartin Preschool. You know, that was James Woods and Oliver Stone. With James Woods, yeah. yeah. I remember you saying something really weird about the financing behind that movie. Yeah, didn't executive Oliver Stone producers. get into executive it? producers are the the what? Everalls, the, the the people who uh, ran the false memory thing and, and the, all that stuff. It's mm, the, the people who put together the the press conference. Uh, it, it was their house where they had the press conference with the uh, McMartin family and sixty minutes. Where it starts out, wow. do these people look like pedophiles? Ha ha ha! And great investigative oh, work God. there, you know. And by the way, too, I know for that, a fact that Michael Con uh, Alex Constantine contacted uh, Oliver Stone Productions and told him, "Hey, man, you know." And Stone went ahead and did it. And then I confronted Stone's son, Sean Stone, and I says, "Hey, man, oh. what's the story?" I said, "I know your father was contacted." And his thing to me was, "Well, you know, I've interviewed uh, Douglas Dietrich, Douglas Dietrich, and he went on five times, Douglas Dietrich." And now everyone knows Doug Dietrich is 
completely full of shit. You know, it has nothing yeah. to do with any of this, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, did he mention that he also interviewed Aquino? Because he did. No, this was before. Stone. This was before. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. What a softball interview, by the way. I remember listening to that years ago and being kind of... I listened to his show back in the, like, I don't know, 2013, 2014, and I remember he had some shady characters on... I mean, what do you, thi- what, what do you think the deal is with Sean Stone? Because now he's a QAnon person. I don't know. From that first time I talked to him, I don't trust him. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like, but like, what's the what? What do you think the angle is with like all even Oliver Stone? Because he was for a while kind of the most rat. I mean, he made JFK. Uh, yeah. You know, isn't that a that a big deal? But actually, just I, the last time I watched it, uh, you know, a few months ago, I did you notice who executive produced JFK? It was no, uh, it was Arnon Milchin. And Arnon Milchin is one huge Hollywood producer, but I think by his own admission, was an Israeli intelligence officer for several decades. I, I missed that last part. I was reading a message. I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> the, the, the movie JFK right. was produced by, executive produced by Arnon Milchin, who's a very big Hollywood producer, but also, I think by his own admission, was a Israeli intelligence officer for several decades. That's fascinating. Um, it doesn't surprise yeah, no, me, Because it, Yeah, it's right, you, you on, can, right there on his Wikipedia. You can do a great movie about JFK, but you only need to change a couple of little things that throw people off the the, the accurate, you know, trails, you know? Can, exactly, exactly. I, I mean, it's a good... Stuff, yeah. It's a good start. I feel like yeah. you know, looking back on it today, but it also, it kind of just scratches the surface of the real networks of things that were going on, I think. and It doesn't mention I, the Watergate burglars at all. It doesn't. It doesn't have E. Howard no. Hunt. It, so, yeah, I think that's a good example a of even something that peep. could be good can also conceal certain things. Like, it kind of is a limited hangout to some degree, yeah. possibly. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's weird. I mean, also, even weirder than that is, like, in the mid-'80s, he made... I remember I watched it once years ago. I thought it was pretty good. But he made a pretty uh, progressive film called Salvador starring yeah, James L. Woods. Yeah. And how, so how does James L. Woods become this, like, super right-wing guy when he's doing this movie that's kind of, like, pro-Sandinista a little bit? It's weird. Well, yeah, I did a whole show about Woods. In fact, he blocked me right after I did it. <laughs> so he definitely listened uh-huh. to it. Uh, talking about Woods and his connections with McMartin's movie and his own stuff with, with uh, little kids, uh, little girls and stuff. Yeah. I did inviting some 16-year-old to go to Las Vegas with him and stuff. You know? Yikes. Yeah. Yikes. So that uh, feels like a Bannon, like, pot calling the kettle black exactly. kind of situation with him. Yeah. I had something I wanted to say, but I forgot. Call uh, <laughs> uh, it. Do you have anything? Why? Well, I think. Um, yeah. Um, well, I don't know how close we are to wrapping up. I mean, what's your general read on, like, the deep politics landscape, like, post-Trump? You know, what would your... Uh, take on like the an overview of this uh That's a good like how do you see yeah well it's like his business as usual you know like uh here you got um biden appoints john kerry you know you'd think he'd be embarrassed yeah. after all the shenanigans john kerry's son was up to with his own son but back yeah. to business as usual you know and we're gonna be invading yeah. all the right places and the uh, gas prices are gonna go up and all that kind of stuff mm. yeah I think that's probably correct. Yeah, I don't. I definitely don't think that Biden has a sense of like shame about like uh, filling mm-hmm. these positions with the standard individuals. Uh, I don't think that that seems to 
occur to him as something to be embarrassed about at all. Uh, like, is uh, it definitely no. doesn't seem to be something that is even, yeah, con- uh, conceivable reaction to him. I almost think that there is a certain continuity. You know, I think that this is all, you know, people tend to conceive like part of the reason why i uh, like to think about things in continuity is when whenever people think about things as being a radical break i like to think about i like to look for the continuities uh mm-hmm. and when people think about things in terms of being continuous i like to look for the differences uh it's just like my instinct so more mm-hmm. and more since some of the hysteria around trump as like this sort of you know that was the, the standard narrative is like this incredible uh, break from norms and things like that, and especially now that that's sort of beginning to die down, and we've come, you know, Trump is is now no longer president. Uh, I think we can even have a, a clearer view of some of the continuities uh, that are that are present. I think that is an important place to look, in my in my opinion, anyway. Uh, yeah, but. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. Just to piggyback off of that i was just looking into something yesterday when i was i was looking more into charles flynn which i think illustrates your point call it um so like you know not not only has charles flynn sort of not been relieved of his command by joe biden as you might expect yeah, right uh he's still he's still deep in the game and i found i found a very uh unsettling website called uh, c4isr.net which is uh that i think that's the center for intelligence surveillance reconnaissance.net so basically about like drone warfare and remote warfare and i found out that there's like there's a whole new thing going on in the u.s military that has the absolutely like brain melting algorithm cgadc2 which is the joint combined or the yeah the the joint combined uh or the combined joint all domain all domain command and control uh kind of system that is now basically all the military branches are trying to build an integrated kind of a a technological kind of uh, data sharing system to, I guess, inaugurate like the next generation of warfare. And in all the articles, it quotes, who else? Uh, Lieutenant General Charles Flynn, who Hmm. I guess is leading this effort. He says the core challenges of the future fight are speed and scale. Charles Flynn, Army Deputy Deputy Chief of Staff, G357, said in the news release, the future fight will be much faster and the joint force will have more sensors and more shooters. It will be more widely distributed than ever before. So, you know, this is, I guess, the, uh, yeah. And, And you know what? The Space Force is integral to all of this to building this like unified data sharing system among all military branches that basically is going to be designed to make us be able to uh launch like you know uh unmanned aerial attacks and things like that and share information and intelligence in real time in a more distributed network kind of way which i guess these people are all saying is gonna you know revolutionize the kill chain and allow us to stay ahead of russia and china and all these things and i guess this puts an end to the bickering between the different branches that we're all building their own data management systems and so it's like you know it's like the uh, same old uh, you know they're and they they came up with this i think in like 2018 or 2019 so it's like you know sir, these things are like on autopilot and somebody like mike flynn's right. brother is along for the ride and they kind of don't care at the end of the day uh it, it's all they're all on the same team you know the u.s empire at the end of the day and i think there are some intramural squabbles they get heated sometimes but it's hard to see yeah that you know there's uh 
there's such a radical break that well, you know, they are all I, I, like capitalists. You, we can't forget. Yeah, <laughs> they exactly. All They're all capitalists at the end <laughs> yeah. of the day, and that's what people yeah. always, whether it's the right wing saying that you know Soros is uh, giving all this money to BLM and Antifa and everybody in corporations like is actually a Maoist and mm-hmm. they want to install communism, or yeah. you know mm-hmm. it's uh, yeah it, it's just the, it's absolutely ridiculous and it obscures the idea, or you know the idea that Biden is this progressive awesome guy that's going to resolve the contradictions of capitalism with the help of Davos and you know we're going to have a great reset and we're going to have inclusive shareholder capitalism it's still capitalism at the end of the day and as I've said before but they are doing something uh, where they're they're, they're throwing they're giving out a lot of money you know yeah there's a lot of money out there absolutely and I I think if anything oh yeah the PPP thing yeah absolutely and I I wonder with and I and and crypto, the way that crypto, like Dogecoin being 40 cents now is kind of mind blowing and makes you wonder about the stability of like the US dollar at this point. You know, Bannon was into cryptocurrency right from the beginning. There has to be some kind of uh, reset because capitalism is unsustainable unless, unless yeah. the next yeah. step would be slavery, you know, like outright, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, slavery. Uh, otherwise, and. I don't think people are going to go for slavery. <laughs> They're going to object no, no. to yeah. Well, I think unless they get <laughs> right. tricked into it, which, uh, you know, is something the, yeah, the great like, deceiver himself mm. would love to do. Yeah, I feel like there's two takes on the reset where, like, you know, on one hand, some people are just like, what? Reset everything? Like, that sounds horrible. I mean, I think that, like, a reset actually, in theory, sounds good, but the f- people who discuss the reset and who are taking control of the idea of the reset are not actually going to do a, like a reset of the kind that anyone would desire you know like in theory like yeah sure like a reset where everything is better of course you know mm. that's uh like sure. but the people who are managing the reset are the people who are the most deeply invested in the way things are so yeah. they're either yeah. not going to reset anything or everything that they reset will only make things worse uh, yeah, I think, you know, there needs to be maybe a war of the resets. Uh, the, <laughs> the vision of a, a better reset needs to be uh, no, no, no. Yeah, Definitely. Yeah. If the same criminals are in charge, yeah, it's going to be terrible it whatsoever. But, you know, the, the idea yeah. of a, a reset or a seven-year jubilee is, is a biblical concept, you know? It's, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it could be sold that way, you know, uh, or should be if people are talking about this thing. But it's, I don't know, man. It just doesn't seem like people are even trying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, there doesn't seem to be any organized real alternative to this kind of like global hegemonic techno capitalist yeah. system. And I feel like all these technologies are being built to further enslave us. I mean, and, you know, you see every time they roll out something nefarious, it gets spun into something goofy that we don't take seriously. Like, for example, like 5G, you know, saying 5G causes COVID-19. Yeah. But in reality, 5G allows that that damn robot dog from Boston Dynamics to run around and like, you, you know, chase you with like a drone operator, like at the local police station driving it, you know, or something like that. Like it's going to allow kind of, you know, things like more, more control surveillance, you know, things yeah. like that, uh, or saying, you know, oh, there's, there's a microchip in the uh, mRNA vaccine instead of saying, well, they're going to use this as a pretext to roll out like biometric passports so that you are going to be restricted for things. And then they're going to use that for other things like down well, the well, road. Quick, so I, I don't yeah. know if you've seen the show I did about the Nicole Junkerman. I, I didn't do the show. Uh, um, Johnny Vedmore came on a show about the Nicole Junkerman. Uh, the Israeli Bond girl that nobody's talking about. 
Uh, she became uh, noticed because she was on Epstein's plane privately with him. Usually had large groups, but this was a small uh, party, just uh, the two of them. And he invested in her company, which was a, uh, a, uh, an app on your phone that if you had a medical emergency, would send the information from your phone to the paramedics and stuff like that, but also uh, send out information to everyone in your immediate vicinity. So if you were contagious or something like that, they would be made aware. Oh. Yeah, how do you like that? <gasps> <laughs> you know? Uh-oh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and it's, this is mm. taking hold in other countries. Now, when we did that first show yeah. about her, right? No one has talked about this woman. Okay? Even you guys don't know her name. Right? And you guys seem to be paying attention to what's going on. <laughs> you guys have heard it. Now, what do you call it? Yeah. We put this woman on it. She went around the, the world filing lawsuits, not just strikes, YouTube strikes and complaints on an online to YouTube. She went to court, okay, and filed defamation lawsuits in different countries, Brussels, all over the place. I got like 10 of them. I get a notice every now and then from YouTube. Oh, your video has been taken down in Berlin <laughs> or someplace <laughs> or Portugal. Oh, you know? weird. Because she's running weird. around really taking this stuff down. That is bizarre. That is bizarre. Makes you wonder too about the, fr- I, the friendship uh, between Gates and, and Epstein too, which is, no one talks about. Oh, yeah, which, you know, is, is getting more and more clear. And, you know, Gates himself was no, uh, the whole narrative around him, we'll probably do a whole deep dive on him yeah. one day, but, you know, he seems to be fulfilling the role that during the Cold War was filled by the Ford Foundation, and we all know about Henry Ford, big Nazi, uh, admirer of Hitler, writer of the International Jew, hated, like, labor unions and, um, you know, anything like that. Didn't even like philanthropy, but he had to do it uh, to launder his, you know, uh, to not get hit with an estate tax when he died you know his kids had to do it but now it's like gates has moved into that and you know his whole story he comes from kind of old banking family money in seattle his mom was on the board of ibm you know and like introduced like basically told the chairman of ibm about micro like my son as a company and then they got the first contract to like build the software for the ibm personal computer just stuff like that it's like wait okay so this kid i think he might be even more of a front man for a whole class of people and that's also what he's doing now with the all of his health and education stuff just what he does around africa you know he slips up every now and then and says that you know all the birth control stuff is for population control <laughs> and you know where he said you know we don't want like you know people in yemen like you know we don't want them to like procreate too much because that would be a bad thing you know he, he slips up from time to time and says weird things like that and i just think like that's uh he's the vanguard of whatever this kind of like ruling elite would like to roll out and create new forms of capture and control and monopoly basically because at the end of the day these people are like monopoly addicts you know, they mm. they got to be in control of the whole cart. They want to cartelize everything, you know. And uh, so, yeah, we got to be real, real vigilant about uh, these types of uh, characters. Yeah. That's yeah, okay. Sure. Yeah. So uh, I guess we can we can wrap up there. Um, mm-hmm. Is there any uh, where where can people find your stuff, Ed? OK, there you go. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, first of all, my Patreon. You know, you go to my Patreon. I put up eight hours of new content each month, uh, plus a lot of free stuff too. I'm always putting up like court documents and stuff like that. I'll put that up for free. So there, and keep an eye on things. Uh, check in there every now and then. There's always good content going up. Mm-hmm. Uh, then um, I mm-hmm. put up uh, yeah. all my shows ad free up on Patreon too. The Opperman Report Patreon. Um, if you live in uh, Nevada or California, Utah, 
Uh, I, I'm, God, I'm getting a lot of coverage in Florida, man. Uh, you can find me on AMFM Radio in Florida. I'm on at 8. I'm on at 10. Uh, all the way from Miami, all the way up to West Palm Beach, uh, I-95, 175 miles, I-95. So nice. just like, you know, nice. I was t- talking on a repeat the other night about how we can get our guys in, in uh, Nevada, you know, and can promote them on the show. If you could just help support the show, we can do a show about 2016, you know? And you look back now, yeah. all the people running Nevada politics are all my friends, <laughs> all the guys I had on the show. <laughs> okay, the, the, the first radio wow. person did anywhere was my show. And we got them now to run Nevada politics. Was that a lot of like the birdie people yes. uh, for 2016? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm not taking all credit because a lot of it was that we were so pissed off we got ripped off. It really radicalized us. Uh, but, you know, our that. people are running the Turner's campaign. They're running the DNC in, in, in Nevada now. Such radical people are in there right now running things that the previous DNC hacks deleted all the information on the computers when our guys came in to take over. Okay. Wow. That's how, yeah. Wow. So we made strides. And that's what I'm going to do down here in Florida next, okay? So if you want to support me through Patreon, uh, next step is, is Florida. I mean, we're going to grow. It's a swing state. You know, we can really uh-huh. start influencing things if we can flip Florida. Uh, to the Opperman regime. <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay. And you can the Opperman on Spreaker, too, and uh, uh, on the Opera Report Spreaker channel. There's a chat room. You get an email notification when we put up uh, content. I play repeats there every night. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got a, you got a deep archive, the deepest, uh, I think, yep. of, of anybody, probably. Yeah, before me, the people talking yeah. about UFOs and Nibiru and, uh, and stuff like that. And uh, I'm the first true crime uh, <laughs> conspiracy guy to come out here, you know, and plus throw in some entertaining stuff mm-hmm. too as well. Totally, totally. You, uh, um, well, we, we'd on, love to have uh, you on Bigfoot before you go, we go. What do you think about Bigfoot? Bigfoot? You know, anything? Uh, <laughs> I don't know, man. Yeah, they, ever thought of, uh, they got all those uh, hieroglyphics and stuff like that all over Nevada with pictures of things that look like Bigfoot. I don't know. You know. Mm, yeah. You know what else is really yeah, weird too? If you go you to go. the Getty Museum in California. Right, the big one. Oh mm, God! Okay. Um, they right. got all this stuff in there about unicorns, you know, and they have huh. they have old mm-hmm. old almanacs where they have unicorns in there listed al- along with all the real animals. So, uh, what's going on with that too? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, wow. people believed yeah. in unicorns for a very long time, you know. And I mean, unicorns are also a very important occult symbol, you know. I mean, the, if you go to yeah. the, the Met in uh, in New York, you can see the unicorn tapestries where the unicorn really, really represents Christ in those. Yeah. Uh, in, yeah, it's a very interesting piece of, of medieval art. Uh, but yeah, the uh, it, it's very very interesting. Uh, are you yeah, sure that's, that's not that's My Little Pony? <laughs> yeah, I was just uh, gonna well, say, yeah, is, well, is My Little know, Pony a unicorn? <laughs> I think well, is. some of them are. Yeah, yeah. now that you think. Oh well, my God. well, yeah, my My Little Pony. You know, there's many ponies. Some are just ponies. Some are unicorns. Some are alicorns, and some are pegasi. So oh you know, there's God. a whole occult hierarchy of ponies well well, ed i think i forget we mentioned but you know that j paul getty jr was like the financial benefactor of kenneth anger from like the 70s onward really i didn't know that but but only after the ford foundation gave kenneth anger a grant in 1964 (laughs) so uh yeah and also you know the gettys were basically literally behind the the political careers of both gavin newsom and kamala harris yeah, like Harris their Getty kids, ba- like yeah, Gavin Newsom's time. dad, 
yeah, Gavin Newsom's dad was the the lawyer, the consigliere to I believe it was either Gordon Getty or J. Paul Getty Jr. He actually, I think, delivered the bag of the ransom money when those guys kidnapped. <laughs> That's, right. Uh, That's right. Yeah, yeah. And I'll, the last thing I'll leave you with because I think we mentioned this at like God, maybe our second episode, but uh, May Brussel found out I think in the seventies or the eighties that there was a sketchy technology like satellite defense contractor company in Silicon Valley, I want to say it was maybe called TCI, and the three big principals in it were, I believe, J. Paul Getty Jr., uh, Gavin Newsom's dad, Bill Newsom, and a guy uh, named Otto von Bolschwing, who in 1980 it was discovered was an SS war criminal oh. whose personal secretary was Ronald Reagan's secretary. Oh, and also Ronald Reagan made her the ambassador to Austria in the 80s until she was replaced by Ronald Lauder. And then that is the period where uh, Jeffrey Epstein mysteriously got an Austrian passport out of nowhere. Really? Yeah, yeah. So look up Otto von Bolschwing. He was a Nazi. He was like a high-class Nazi who came to California, was in business with Gavin Newsom's dad and the Gettys, uh, for like a Pentagon defense contractor that I think, I don't know, I think they sold like satellite footage to Israel for like the Six Day War. And yeah, basically um, whole web of people there. The Gettys are so powerful. I think they're also kind of behind Pelosi, but you know, they're Republicans. So it's a little weird. All these San Francisco liberals, you know, are basically backed by this wealthy robber baron oil family of Republican, maybe occultists. Uh, so, you know. Fun times we're living in. And uh, the unicorn is also a symbol in masonry to an extent, you know. Like you said, it's uh, it's a biblical symbol, or at least it mm. was because uh, of, like, a, you know, a mistranslation in the King James Bible and everything. Uh, but, yeah, it's a, an old symbol for, for Christ, an old heraldic symbol. So it's very interesting that they have all these unicorn materials collected there. I wonder if there's uh, a reason for that. Ed, yeah. Last question, Ed. What do you think about Freemasonry? Well, but before we get to that, when you mentioned May Brussels, <laughs> you know, yeah. I remember May Brussels way back, way back, screaming about electronic email, electronic mail, electronic mail. They're going to be able to read all your mail. <laughs> They're going to see what's in she your was, mail. Oh, my. She was right. She was right on wow. so much. We used to, and she, we, didn't get, yeah. we didn't get May Brussels on the East Coast, okay? Yeah. So what would happen yeah. is they would mail us audio tapes, cassette tapes to WBAI in Manhattan. And you could yeah. check them out and take it home with you, but then you'd have to bring it back the next day. You'd have to, your name would be on the on the list. You'd have to sign the thing, and then bring it back the next day after you listen to it. So when you wow. got it, you had to listen to it that night because you had to bring it back the next day. Otherwise, oh, that's exciting. Imagine. That's exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, all our archives are up there now. I think uh, I forgot the website, yeah. but I was able to find. Um, she had some great episodes about Michael Aquino in the '80s, and even up to covering like the the scandal around the Presidio, and then that's right when she died was like basically uh i think he he was almost like her main target in the last maybe year and a half two years of her show and then she gets cancer and poof you know gone and uh but she did some really good original digging we got some good info about aquino from from her so she's another a legend you know oh yeah great stuff man yeah 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 all right uh well hey this has been fun ed um it's great to have you on we'd love to have you back on uh any other variety of topics i'm sure some things will come up no great i enjoyed our interview too as well which people can hear probably gonna play it this weekend so uh, yeah yeah keep in touch yeah apple speaker all right and um yeah yeah, you get to have you on nice to meet you 
Khalid. <laughs> yeah, all right. Khalid, yes. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yes, yeah, like the DJ. Okay, great. Yeah. All right, guys. <laughs> I got to get some food. All right. Now. So, all right, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, everybody. Uh, yeah, so until next time, uh, <laughs> dear listeners, stay vigilant. Okay. Peace. <laughs> all right, Ed. See you later. Okay, thank you. Life is a game of business, and in the end, we strike. The new young and old are bought and sold, and everybody thinks they're right. War is a game of business, a game we shouldn't play. Because men with guns killed all our sons and blew us all away, and they called it war. Paranoia is almost over, but nobody hears what the people say. So nobody wins in world catastrophic Took him to the promised land, but there's no...